welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. My name is Brendan Bigley S. <laughs> wow. Definitive is edition. Big, is Bigley your middle name? Yeah, I guess. Bre- it's like Mario Brothers, you're Brendan Bigley Steven. Yeah, I actually have I, have I have a lot of middle names. My middle names are Bigley S. Definitive, and my last name is Edition. My name is Brendan Edition. Gotcha. I'm Steven from the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, now available for Game Pass. Now available for Game Pass, previously on 3DS. Yeah. Uh, welcome to our very special bonus episode for... You want to say it with me? Dragon Quest XI S Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive, Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch, now available for Xbox Game Pass. It's here. I <laughs> am so excited to make this episode. I'm always excited for bonuses. You know this. The listener yeah. knows this. But this this game uh, means a lot to both of us, and I think has meant a lot to the show. Uh, it, it's it's a game that initially we didn't really land the same on. Like I liked it, and I I played it first, and I you know I talk about that whole experience of like playing the original version and then coming back to it and liking it way more um that episode is the perfect basics if you want to listen and that's like i think the episode where we cover most of our thoughts on the game spoiler free worth noting too in case you didn't already register this this episode is going to be the full thing it's going to be every spoiler possible so yes we're going to just stayed up until 2 a.m last night beating the game the true Uh, final boss yeah, yeah which is incredible Thank I have you. not beaten the game. I'll say that right up front. I've not beaten it, but I'll get into why later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll, we won't do any spoilers right away. We're going to just quickly talk about, like, what this game means to us. But then we're going to get into it. So just, you know, a heads up on that. But, yeah. man, I think, like, it's already known <laughs> with our last few episodes, but this is easily in my, you know, favorite games ever list as well. Like that, It kind of quickly became that for you. Yeah. And and upon revisiting it and upon playing the definitive version and getting a lot of the things that were missing in the original release on PS4, also just playing it at a time in my life where I really was like extremely wanting a game like this. Um, as we've often talked about, Dragon Quest is a series that is is like responsible for JRPGs as a genre, mm-hmm. um, but has never, ironically, never really been that big in the US, or at least not as big as in Japan, where it's like, talk about Definitive Edition, it's like the JRPG series. You totally. know, everything yeah. else is kind of like in the shadow of Dragon Quest. But I didn't really get why. Like when I first played Eleven, it just sort of felt like, okay, this is like, I get that this is the first series to do this, to like have this sort of system where like, you're leveling up and you have a party of heroes and you're going to towns. Like all that was in like Dragon Quest did that first. Yeah. So I kind of clocked it in my head as like, okay, this is a game that like I can really appreciate for, for this series. I can really appreciate for setting the foundation for a genre I love, but I think I prefer other series over it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was back in my clown days when I sort of like <laughs> went to work in a car packed with dozens of other clowns and uh-huh. like, you know, wore big shoes and, and yeah. I was actually a sad clown, which was kind like of a Pagliacci kind of thing. Like a Pagliacci, yeah. But I it was an, un- <laughs> an unsinged Pagliacci. I haven't played Dragon Quest Eleven S. Echoes of Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. Um and yeah, and and <laughs> now that I'm no longer a sad clown, I've seen the light of the series. Since since finishing eleven, I've also picked up five, which I talked a little bit about in a recent episode. And I'm really enjoying that. I'm still like a little less than halfway through it, but I that will also probably land pretty highly on like my favorite RPGs. Um, yeah. 
It's a really wonderful series, and I think I won't really say too much more about it. Weirdly, I think that that's something that's good to talk about at the end of the episode with like how this game handles its like final final chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say like it it is hard to put into words why this game and this series even though it hasn't changed much about its foundation, is still so engaging. Um, I think Eleven in particular is like set up in a way that feels like overwhelmingly familiar and for new and old players will be like really easy to latch onto. And I think what this game does so brilliantly is this gradual turning up the dial, both narratively and mechanically, where like mm. as soon as you feel like you know where you are and what's going on and how to play it, the game like gradually changes to something way more interesting. Yeah. And I think like, I think that's what I'm most impressed by from 11 and from Dragon Quest overall is this like very like confident comfort in staying in familiar material, but always like looking to take one step outside of it, at least in 11 and five, both those games feel very much like they know what you want from the series, but they're going to do something a little bit out of your comfort zone. Um, and I think because the most of the game is so focused on you feeling comfortable playing it that when it does do that, it's like captivating and not frustrating. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah, totally with you. I, so y- you are coming at this from already from the lens of like somebody who's played a lot of JRPGs. And I think you're, you're in like comparison mode because like you're trying to work through why this one has, has, I think latched on to you over the years. And I'm coming at this from a completely different angle, which is just like, I liked the video game and I don't really have a foundational basis for the genre to like really know <laughs> why and how it yeah. would, how it would feel if I was to play other versions of this. Um, as we've mentioned many times and on our most recent episode talking about this game, um, I mentioned that uh, a lot of season two of this podcast was me trying to branch out and like find a really good JRPG that I was into because um, I had tried a bunch and they didn't really work uh, and, and kind of had like an aha brain blast moment um, that led me down a path of like finishing Final Fantasy VII Remake, for example. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, I think we consider uh, of the genre, even though it's more of like a tactics game. Um, having now almost finished Persona 5 Royal at this point. Um, you know, there, there's like a lot under my belt now along with Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, so I've ha- had a really interesting time over the past couple weeks-ish uh, in anticipation of doing this episode, like branching out and trying other stuff just to see how it compares. Um, so that's like revisiting Final Fantasy games that I had bounced off of previously this week i spent a little bit of time playing a game for the xbox 360 called blue dragon which i thought was like maybe weirdly enough the most comparable video game to the dragon quest franchise um it's by the creator of final fantasy and with art by akira toriyama who does the art for dragon ball and dragon quest um so it was like okay so here's another person you know a square enix longtime employee uh and game designer making a jrpg with art by toriyama uh, how does this feel in comparison to Dragon Quest? And the answer is that it's a night and day thing. Dragon Quest is so like wholly unique in itself. Um, and I'm coming to learn that by revisiting older Dragon Quest games, um, but also by experiencing other things in the genre, especially something like Blue Dragon, which honestly just feels like a Final Fantasy game with Toriyama art, which yeah. I just wanted to mention because it's a game that you should probably play. Um, it's available right. via backwards compatibility. Uh, so yeah. you can get it for, I think it's like 10 bucks and is really good. As far as I've played so far, I've played like the first like three or four hours. Um, but it really just kind of 
served as a highlighter for me to understand why I was clicking with Dragon Quest so much. Because although a game like Blue Dragon or a Final Fantasy um, does, you know, a really wonderful job of like creating a compelling cast of characters and a party that you want to hang out with and going around this world and solving like a calamitous crisis, essentially, in pretty much every instance. Um, what Dragon Quest gets right, I think, that almost every other JRPG I've played does not or doesn't even attempt to do in a lot of instances is create a world that you just want to live in and hang out in and feel comfortable not spending time saving the world. I, I think I think in Dragon Quest Eleven specifically, it feels we talked a lot about uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake being the high fidelity version of what you thought you were playing in 1997. Like if you played Final Fantasy VII when it came out, that game I, I think just because of the way it looked from a fidelity standpoint, your mind had to fill in a lot of the blanks and Final Fantasy VII Remake is doing that work of filling in the blanks for you, uh, allowing you to just engage with character and story and place. Um, Dragon Quest Eleven is weirdly enough that, I think, for like every RPG you played when you were a kid. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven to me feels like it is doing the same thing, taking a lot of the work that your brain used to do while you're playing like, I don't know, Link's Awakening on the Game Boy uh, and and saying like, we we got that taken care of, man. We made the world that you were imagining. Now you just get to hang out in it. You get to walk around and see the citizens hanging out like in an inn or at a bar or uh, fishing on the coastline or uh, dancing also on the coastline or hanging out in a casino or whatever. You know, like they they just put so much time and effort into creating a world that is beautiful and that is joyous and is fun to be around that when things start to go to shit from a narrative perspective, you feel a real sense of urgency and attachment Absolutely. towards the need to save the place. Um, totally, and that's not even totally. to mention, again, they get the Final Fantasy side of things right as well, which is the compelling cast of characters that you want to hang out with. Um, yeah. So it really just ends up being like a road trip with your friends hanging out in cool locations where everybody has like... I don't know, a, a different vibe um, and, and almost doesn't even look like it belongs in the same world and yet somehow does. It's a stunning achievement in visual design, I think, because the fact that this game feels cohesive is shocking at times. <laughs> right. And I think a lot of those things are really subtle and that's why it's kind of hard to like pinpoint like what is it mm -hmm. about Dragon Quest that makes it so unique for decades, you know? And yeah. um, I think back, there was an interview, an old interview with, with uh, Hayao Miyazaki that like kind of was going around on Twitter and it was basically like the, I forgot who interviewed him, but the interviewer was like, you know, in your movies, there are a lot of scenes where there will just be like a shot of characters cooking or like looking yeah. off into the distance or something where like nothing is really happening to advance the story, but they're, they just are capturing moments that exist and they, they are so, even though those moments themselves may not do much alone in contrast to the rest of the films, like they really do a lot to bring out the rest. Yeah. Um, and Miyazaki said, there's a, there's a word in Japanese. Uh, I think it's ma for that exact thing where he described it as like ma is the space between clapping where like, if you don't have that, the it's just noise, you know, mm. like you won't, you won't feel that way. And I think you can, really feel that in Dragon Quest 11 and other games in the series where like 
it's not afraid to just give you a moment where like, while a lot of the game is about like fighting monsters and there's always going to be some kind of issue to solve and you're leveling up and you're finding new stuff, it never feels overwhelming or like it's shoving things in your face because it's not afraid to just give you a town where like, here's a town where everyone speaks in haikus and there's like bathhouses and like, yeah it's a town like any other town like there's you're not gonna like level up because you went to the bathhouse but just like a place to be yeah um and also giving you like little moments with characters that like may not end in a uh quest or anything but just sort of like another beat that gives you a sense of place in the world like you said like you feel so attached to the setting after a certain point that when things do when the stakes do grow it's because of those moments that you care so yeah. I would say the same with three houses, weirdly, which, you know, we've talked a lot about already, but like the reason you feel so much for those characters is because you have these scenes with them that are just about whatever, you know, it's not right. always about fighting a dragon or saving the world. Like you, you want to save the world because you want to save them because you spent this time with them. That is meaningful. That is seemingly meaningless, you know, right. having, having the, the moments where you're at camp and you just talk to the characters and they just share what they're feeling at that time, you know, and it may not be like you can find treasure to the West, but it might just be like, you know, I hate the woods or something. Yeah. Like, you know, it just, <laughs> it just, it feels very, and it feel, it, it really makes these characters who are at first, maybe archetypal feel like real people at a certain mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> chef kiss. It's a great game. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I just, um, I just feel like there is weirdly kind of like a, there's kind of like a dearth for games like this in a way. Like I, I actually have a hard time thinking of like really direct analogs for games that I would put in the same realm as Dragon Quest, at least this game in particular. And it feels like it, that shouldn't be the case. It feels like it should be really easy to come up with games that are, that are like Dragon Quest. And I think the ones that are, are only like it in that they are turn-based right. uh, combat JRPGs. But something about this game being like a fully open world that you can like, run around, sail around, eventually fly around. <gasps> Spoilers. And and uh and like have that really like classic JRPG combat within that. It feels like there should be like a, a hundred games like that coming out all the time and it's weird, I think, that the only one that's doing it really is Dragon Quest. It's almost like I feel like Final Fantasy should have turned into that at some point. And I think 15 is like kind of an attempt to get there but then even still you have the like kingdom hearts adjacent combat in that game 15 is just like a, a beautiful mess overall like i don't yeah. even like <laughs> uh, knowing what went into that game it's amazing they made a game so i don't even know <laughs> if there was that intention behind yeah. 15 but i think it's worth noting you know final fantasy is like a really fascinating parallel to dragon quest because it's basically the cosmic opposite it's yeah, for real you know, yeah. the luminary not to make one good or bad but like like we said before, Dragon Quest is very, very comfortable staying within the same expectation. You yeah. know, like if you go back playing 11, you can go back and play any other Dragon Quest and like kind of know what to expect, you know, but also have enough uncertainty that's exciting, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, it's like not going to be in space. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like certain I things. would almost like, honestly, Steven, in another world, I would go as far as saying that like Dragon Quest is like the lame one, but it's it's comfortable and it's fun and it's nice. You know, like I would almost say like Final <laughs> Fantasy is for people who listen to Aphex Twin and My Bloody Valentine <laughs> and Dragon Quest is for people who like are hanging out at the Christmas tree shop and are OK. The Coldplay came on, you know, <laughs> why are we both? Um, I look. But, 
I contain multitudes. I'm a I, hey, I'm a big Coldplay fan, and I'm also a huge My Bloody Valentine fan. So I, I understand that I'm dunking on myself in a way, but that is almost how I would compare those two. Well, I think going back to the cosmic opposite, Final Fantasy is a series that is beholden to constant change. You know, for better and for worse, yes. every every Final Fantasy game is an entirely new world and a new type of game. You know, like fifteen. If, if you didn't have the title attached and I just showed you Final Fantasy 15 and Final Fantasy 9, you would never assume they were the same series <laughs> ever. You yeah. know, uh, you might be like, oh, weird. That creature had the same name, but that's like it. Yeah. You know, that's literally it. And I think there's I think there's a lot to gain from that, too. And I think Final Fantasy, like, you know, they're sort of like the alchemist and just trying to figure out, like, what eventually works. I almost wish Final Fantasy veered a little bit more into the Dragon Quest idea of like, maybe, you know, like, for example, we loved the combat in Final Fantasy VII Remake, and it would be a real shame just to toss that away forever, which, like, (laughs) they might do, because that's Final Fantasy. But instead, it's like, why don't we, like, continue to build upon that foundation? And with Dragon Quest, I think... I think that while it seems like an enigma that this series is comfortable not changing, we have plenty of stuff like that in the U.S. I mean, that's superheroes. That's like there are there are certain series that we want that like we kind of want the same thing packaged up all the time and and maybe be like, okay, this is going to be a slightly different take on this thing. But I know what the thing is and I'm very comfortable on that fact. So I think and I think, too, because Dragon Quest is so foundational in terms of you, you brought up the point of like, why aren't there a million RPGs doing this? Um, I think a lot of RPGs now are, are kind of more focused on like, what new blueprint can we make? You know, yes. like Bioware stuff is very much about like choices and repercussions and, and you and the driver's scene. That's much more of a Western RPG kind of angle. Um, but in JRPGs, there's there's like kind of been a focus to become almost more cinematic, at least with Final Fantasy. Like, you could really tell that they're more interested in that in some games than in like the game itself. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think that there's still like a void for a Dragon Quest esque RPG, even though it has had this profound influence, which happens a lot. I mean, sometimes you can see like what is the movie or what is the book that like created a genre, but none really capture what that original piece was like. You know, mm. like it creates an interest, but it doesn't create like emulation. Yeah. And I'm kind of grateful for that because I really I think like when a new one comes out, I'm going to be so excited because I know I know what kind of experience I'm going to get. But I don't know what like flavor it's going to be. You know? Right. Yeah. And totally. that's really exciting. Yeah. I, I w- one of the things that I think I was most interested in 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 playing Dragon Quest 11 and then going back and checking out the other stuff is, is and just knowing how wildly successful Dragon Quest 11 was, was like asking myself, is this only popular because of the series has been popular for a long time? You know, like, mm. is this a situation where, oh, I mean, you can make some weird parallels to Pokemon here, I think. Sure. I think Pokemon yeah. is actually maybe the best comparison point for this game in terms of like a franchise that kind of refuses to change. And maybe that's for the best in a lot of instances. Uh alternatively or i guess uh weirdly ironically pokemon has not had the same like success in being the same pokemon yeah, I, I think it feels like gets... people want pokemon to change and they don't you know right. yes. and like i i think through that i mean i think when we first talked about sword and shield i think i even said and this is pre this is still clown era i hadn't yet seen the light of dq11 but 
uh, I honked my nose and, and belted out some words. And I said, uh, like, there is comfort in knowing what the experience is going to be. Yeah. You know, and I think, like, I have that with Pokemon even still. Even if they made, like, a total reinvention of the wheel, I would still want certain things to be there. Yes. You know? Same. But I think you're right that, like, they have not found the the happiness in their clientele yeah. <laughs> based on not changing. Which I guess kind of answers my question a little bit. Like, why aren't there more games like this? Or why aren't there more franchises like this that are trying to do a similar thing? And the answer is like, if you try and do a similar thing, you end up being Pokemon where the fan base is like ravenous in their like demands to have something new. Whereas Dragon Quest, everybody demands that it be exactly the same <laughs> as it always was every time. Yeah, I don't even know if there's that demand. I think it's sort of what happens. It's the yeah. intention of the series almost. And yeah. like, we'll get to that later because I think I think the game directly comments on that in in the post game, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really fascinating. But yeah, man, I think it's an incredible series. I think that, um, you know, I, I can see, I can still, even though I'm being hard on myself, I can still see, and we talk about this on Perfect Basics, like why I initially didn't click with it right away. A lot of that was because of the version I played, honestly. Yeah. But I do think that, like, this is the kind of game that you do need, like, the right headspace for. You know, I think you need to know, like, okay, like, here's the experience I'm getting into. It's very welcoming and very comforting. So it's not like you have to, like, pre-program anything or, like, you know, situate yourself in any way. It just sort of, like, I can still see people playing the definitive version and feeling a version of the way I initially felt where they're like, this has kind of been done before. Like this is overly traditional, Mm -hmm. but like, I really think the more you let the game kind of wash over you, like the more fun you're going to have. I think the more surprised you're going to be at the risks that are being taken here. Yeah. um, By 11 in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. And honestly, I I just to, if you, if you're a person who's listening to this and you haven't played this game and you're curious, you know, if maybe we haven't answered that for you, like, Oh, should I check this game out or not? Um, what I'll say is that, uh, Steve and I had an episode about this game right when it came out, or I guess when the PS4 version came out or somewhere around there, uh, that was called Dragon Quest 12. This time Qbert is in it. And you can go back and you can listen to that. And honestly, uh, that, that was, that was when Steven was bouncing off of the game. He was in the process of ricocheting away from Dragon Quest 11. Uh, and I came into it knowing that the switch version was coming out and was like really curious about if I was going to be into it or not. Um, and even though I walked away from recording that episode thinking like, I don't think this is going to be for me. The thing that really or the two things that really uh, that really got me on board and I would recommend checking them out. Number one is the demo, which exists. You can play about 10 hours of this game. And if you like it and you buy the full thing, all of your progress from the demo carries right over into the main game, which is like the best way to do a demo. Unbelievable that that's an option. That's also an option on all the Dragon Quest games, it seems like uh, that that are like recent. So like Dragon Quest Builders. Two also has a demo that is 10 hours long unless you carry the progress over, which is like awesome. a no brainer. Um, yeah. So there's that. The other thing that I want to shout out is uh, Tim Rogers of Action Button Entertainment, previously of Kotaku.com, created two videos for Kotaku that are on their YouTube channel. The first one is a uh, long, like 20 to 30 minute review of Dragon Quest 11, the original version. And he is a person who has played all the Dragon Quest games uh, essentially at launch. Um, and pretty much this is like, this is the best game in the whole franchise. This is the best one to start with if you've never played Dragon Quest before. And this might be my favorite game ever. Um, and I, I thought that that was really compelling. I thought that was a really interesting video and he makes a lot of just incredible points. I think that that led me down this path of like, even though I'm maybe not predisposed to love this genre and this kind of gameplay and combat, 
I, I know what to look for and I know the vibe that I'm going to get out of it. And that's what I was more interested in. And that's exactly what I got. He then did a follow-up interview or follow-up review about the uh, definitive edition. That's all about the changes between the two, but is kind of just like a doubling down of his first opinion on it. I would highly recommend watching those two videos, not just because they're good YouTube videos, but I think they honestly will give you alongside the demo, the best understanding of if this game is for you or not. Because what I will say about the first 10 hours is that it's a little bit slow going. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think that this game really puts its best foot forward because it feels very like paint by numbers story wise. Yes. Um, yes. As we talked about in that very first episode, it's as if, or it feels as if, whoever was writing this game thought that they were writing the first ever fantasy story because it's like, it's like every trope in a row for like five hours. Uh, and, and, and that's very much by design, but you won't know that if you're just playing the demo, you will only know that if you're playing further and understand more about it in the long term. Um, so I, I think those two pieces of media, the demo and those videos would go hand in hand. I'll put them in the show notes because they're like, they're just check them out. But that was why I started playing the game. And that's, I think, what really like unlocked my brain limitless pill style into loving <laughs> uh, the franchise, the entire yeah. franchise. And I think I mean, I, and I think there is a reason why I, it's maybe a struggle to be as popular in the U.S. because, you know, Final Fantasy and other series have taken off so much in, in such a bigger way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because I, I think to- Final Fantasy has kind of created this understanding of like what this kind of game should be. And and Final Fantasy comes with an inherent kind of like grittiness to it at times, or at least the ones that take off the most in, in a lot of instances have this like kind of like what if the real world was filled with magic uh, and and like supreme evil beings in a lot of instances. I, th- I think Final Fantasy seven, you know, being the biggest one probably is a yeah. huge indication of like what people want from that kind of story, um, whether they know it or not, that like clearly the numbers reflect that. Um, I, I also feel that way about 10 in a lot of instances, uh, cause 10 was also at least amongst my friend group at the time, extremely popular. Um, oh yeah. And, and I think dragon quest kind of flies against that. Like dragon quest is like, no, it's cool to be like happy and fun and have a good time. Yeah. It almost feels like when, uh, like I remember, you know, as a kid in the nineties, like, uh, I X-Men were my favorite superhero group. And like Wolverine was the anti-hero of the group and everyone liked Wolverine. But yeah. Cyclops was the leader, technically, <laughs> even though Wolverine became the biggest one. And I feel like alongside your uh, like, OK, Dragon Quest is the like I go to Michael's on my day off <laughs> kind of the vibe, yeah. um, which I do to buy sketch pads. Um, <laughs> I, Michael's is great. I, I feel like um like Cyclops is the Dragon Quest, but like Wolverine is the Final yeah. Fantasy where yeah. it's like, I'm like, or maybe it's even, I think even a better analogy is like Batman and Superman where it's like at first glance, Superman is like incredibly boring and everyone writes him off as like, I don't want to read Superman. He's like the most generic superhero ever, but nothing is better than a good Superman comic. Oh my God. The uh, Superman comic that understands why Superman is the like, literally the foundation for most superheroes uh, and like what goes into questioning that and like subverting that they're incredible you know and and, I, and now at this point in my life i am much more interested in a good superman story and having that optimism while questioning that like traditional formula than like a gritty batman story you know as much as we both like we did we had a whole episode about the arkham games like i i love batman too there's a place for both but i think that uh I think that a lot of people have the notion to write off the like optimistic, comfortable one. Yeah. (laughs) You know? 
I'm I'm trying so hard to not turn this into a Superman episode. <laughs> Why not? We'll do the Superman 64 bonus oh my, one oh day. <laughs> one one day game. they will make a Superman game that is good. I, I actually don't believe that, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway. <laughs> one day they'll do that and we'll do an episode about it. And I'm going to just like... Uh, I almost spoiled Dragon Quest Eleven. Shit. Uh, <laughs> we should just get into the spoiler section, but uh, I, it's really hard for me to not talk a lot about Superman. Yeah, I saw you like glow, which was kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah we're. I, I think that's like a good. I think I would say that's a decent parallel for the two series. But yeah, I I totally just agree. to wrap it all up. We both love this game. It, it is a favorite of both of ours and the show. And I'm so happy to now be a new Dragon Quest fan and yeah, to check out too. the other ones. Um, so for the rest of the episode, the structure is basically going to be us talking through the like big beats of the story. Um, so, you know, we're going to do like um, the game doesn't outwardly say it's an axe. But like when people talk about this game, they commonly refer to it in three acts. Um so I think that's kind of what we're going to do. So, you know, we're going to talk through the three acts, act three being the post game. And, uh, and then we're going to answer the questions you guys asked us. So yeah. um, before we get started, I think even though we're going to do questions last, I think we are going to do one question first because Brandon and I were talking about how this question kind of deals with like the early game and, and someone getting into the game. So it made sense to have here. Um, Kyle star at Twitter. Hi, Kyle asks any tips for starters Things you wish you had known or prioritized, best skill tree routes, items you should sell or keep, best tactic strategies per character, and who had the better performance, Arnold as Mr. Freeze or Jim Carrey as the Riddler? This is now the Kyle second Bay. time in recording this podcast today that we've talked about the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. I'm just grateful you don't work for DC, because then we'd be left with nothing, you know? <laughs> So this this might be like we might be getting like a little in the weeds, but I'm happy to go through this if you are real quick. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't I don't have to get like super in the weeds to, I think, just say a couple things. Um, I, I, I do think just in terms of like uh, things that I wish I had known or prioritized, I do wish that I had spent more time um, focusing on like how pet powers worked, uh, mm. which is like. Just for, I guess, context, when you're in battle every once in a while, almost completely at random, but maybe not completely at random, one of your characters in your party will uh, appear as being pepped up, um, which is just like they're glowing blue as if they're a Super Saiyan. Uh, and when they do that, they can unleash these like certain pep powers. And when multiple characters in your party are pepped up simultaneously, that will also unlock new pep powers. Um, and it took me until the post game to like really care about them or actually use them strategically and realize, and this is the big tip that you can swap characters in and out of your party when they're pepped up. And when they're out of your party and they're pepped up, they stay pepped up until you bring them back. So you can like swap them out strategically, wait until a bunch of them get pepped up that have a power that, you know, is like useful or good and then bring them all back at once and then use that power. Um, and, and that was like, a huge fucking brain blast thing that if I had known that at the beginning of the game, I would have played it completely differently. I think um, <laughs> so. that's yeah. one thing. Uh, also, you mentioned items that you should keep or sell. Uh, I didn't use items for like most of my whole playthrough. It again, really wasn't until the post game that I started using stuff. I actually didn't even really look through what items I had until like way later in the game um, and realized that I had a bunch of items that like, increase the stats of my characters permanently that I had just been holding on to for like 30 hours. Yeah, I'll say this, something that I also didn't really fully realize until like maybe the end or the post game is that like 
I'll say this, a small critique of the, against the game. The UI isn't wonderful. Like the menu, like Yeah, there are like three simple. start menus. And one of them is when yeah. you press Y, one of them is when you press select, and one of them is when you actually press start. And they all have different things on those menus. <laughs> it's one of those cases where everything you need is there, but you're not going to know that until you stumble into it by accident. Yeah, it's um, it's like putting a flash drive into a computer where you're always going to you're always going to put it in upside down by accident first. I always yeah. press Y instead of start, and I always press start instead of Y. I'll say this. So for equipment and stuff, I almost always, like when you're cycling through the equipment menu, it'll show you like how different equipment affects the stats of your character. If you hit if you hit the button that shows details, it'll also say like passive effects that that item has yeah. that are in addition to what the brief description was. So like it really helps to know that. Additionally, in terms of items, Try not to sell anything and especially don't sell anything that says you may not get this back because yeah. like um, forging is a big deal. You can like forge weapons and armor and like make really you can make the best sword in the game on the forge. Like You will always be able to make stuff that's better than what you find. But like and nine times out of ten for most of the game, you can always just buy like when you're at the forge. You're like, OK, do you want to spend X gold to buy the materials you don't have so you can forge this? But as you get better recipes, you'll find items that like you can't buy and all that like just that that stuff you'll probably have to Google and we'll talk about that later. But you can also uh, go you can browse the ingredient list from the forge. And if you look at the ingredient and you look at the details, it'll show you where to find them. Oh, my God. So it'll be what? like, yeah, that that oh is something God. I did not learn. <laughs> Because at first I'm like, how, like, I would Google, like, where do I find this item? And they're like, oh, oh, you have to go to the ruins of Dundrasil on a rainy night and steal that from, you know, a royal yeah. reptile. And it's like, how would I know that? And it does actually say in the menu. But Holy like, shit. Yeah. So it just like, you would never know that until you Googled it. And you might as well just Google to find the answer. Yeah. Um, but that's all that's like pretty nitpicky stuff. Like for, for, I would say acts one and two. If you're just like playing the game and being mindful of what equipment you have, you will be able to get through it. It really isn't until the post game that you need to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's worth knowing early because it's fun. Like once you know, like you can make weapons and do all this stuff with your party, like with the pet powers, like the combat goes from feeling like you're playing like Pokemon in third grade to like one of the most compelling yeah. turn-based combat like I've played. Yeah. Um, second to like Persona. Like this is like really good. Which actually leads um, me to the next tip that I was going to say, which is uh, I would say be comfortable in the beginning using the automated tactic system. So like you, you can say that your party mates will like kind of do whatever. They have a bunch of tactics that you can choose from uh, in combat. One of them is like fight wisely. Uh, one of them is like focus on healing. You get the idea. One of them is like show no mercy, which just like uses all of your abilities that are whatever the most powerful thing is. Um, I would say be comfortable using that. Make sure that at least one, if not more than one of your characters are on follow orders, though. And follow orders means that you're actually going through and like selecting every action that they take. And I would recommend like at least for a little bit, having everyone who's available in the party on follow orders just so you can understand what their abilities and skill sets are. Because as I mentioned, I think in the last episode, I didn't do that for like probably 40 or 50 hours. 
uh, of the game. I just had everyone on some kind of tactic except for hero. And then when the time came that I needed to fight and defeat enemies in specific ways that required like real strategy and I had to have everybody on follow orders for the first time, I didn't understand any of their abilities. I didn't understand any of their spells or how they yeah. operated or whatever. Um, and that was like another learning curve that I needed to go over that I could have been easing myself into the entire time. Yeah, I, I think like, I mean, honestly, they don't have enough abilities in the beginning for follow orders to even be daunting at first. Exactly. Like, yeah. You literally true. just have attack. So I think like the sooner you can do it, the better. But whatever fits your play style, you know, if you want to do it gradually, yeah. I think. But I think well, that's the thing is that point, the tactic system yeah. was one of the reasons I was able to play this game. I think right. if, if I had to spend combat like going through and selecting abilities and, and, and different kinds of attacks and spells every single time, I probably would have bounced off it. Uh, the ability to kind of expedite combat in that way is one of the main sticking points for me. And I think is one of the things that smooths it over for people who maybe aren't huge genre heads. Um, That's true. But that said, I, I do recommend like learning how it works in the long run. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I was going to say, um, if you had something else also, but uh, the last thing I was going to say is um, in terms of uh, best skill tree routes and tactics and strategies per character and stuff, um, be, be just be comfortable changing them. It doesn't, it's it's expensive, but like is not cost prohibitive to just like completely swap out somebody's entire skill tree if you want to. And if you're like not feeling where they're at, the only ones that I would really recommend are like make sure that the hero is using a great sword because that's going to be really helpful for like pretty much the entire first two acts of the game and will yeah. be like probably less helpful in in the post game. But like you don't have to think about that for 60 hours and then uh, pretty much anyone else can do anything. Honestly, yeah, you, you like can't go wrong. I would say, like, we'll probably talk more about this as we talk about the characters as we go through the story. Yeah. Um, but I would say, yeah, I agree. Definitely. Uh, there's a thing you can do in a church or at a statue where you can completely, um, like, undo your skills, but you'll have all the points you unlocked. Yeah. Um, I would say I'd recommend giving uh, one or two characters a whip or boomerang so you can attack, like... Those are the two weapons that can attack multiple enemies at once. And in the beginning of the game, it's really helpful to have, like... You don't have many like AOE attacks for a while. Yeah. So having any ability to hit multiple enemies at once is really, really helpful. That's one so. of the reasons I think Greatsword is so good for the hero because they get yeah. hella chopper, which hella allows chopper. them to hit multiple enemies. Give at once. Eric a boomerang. What are you waiting for? That's also uh, true. Give Eric a boomerang. At actually, least early also, on. give Jade a spear and like don't think about it. Like she's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. You wanna you wanna get into it? That was oh, and Mr. Freeze, Arnold was the better performance. Oh, all right. Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> let's break the ice. That's the second time I've said this today. I said that in the previous episode. All right. You're rubbing your temple, so it's a good time for us to reset. Yeah. Let's take a break and then talk about Act One. I'm so excited. Last time on Dragon Quest XI, the hero woke up and his, his mom said, Go to fucking Heliodor. Get the hell out of your house, you lazy bum. All right, Gov. I use dogs. Is that Sandy? 
Uh, one recommendation too: definitely play this game in Japanese because like oh shit yeah totally uh, the the voice acting is fun in English but it's a little bit too over the top for me like me too yeah um like it totally it, it goes from like a fun like production of Oliver into like this is getting into like absurdity levels <laughs> <laughs> like when Eric's like Bob's your uncle you can make it out the forge I'm like oh my god yeah um. But yeah, so Act 1, we're here. Uh, we're going to talk through most of it. Um, so Act 1 is a really interesting time. Um, it's basically, it begins, as we've talked about already on, on older episodes about this game, but the game kind of kicks off with the hero waking up in his like very Dickensian, humble village where he's got like childhood friend and they've got a dog named sandy and everyone's like all right you're a man now you got to climb the mountain um yeah and you know you do this kind of ritual and you're you're told you're the chosen one so this is where it's like where you say like it feels like a paint by numbers like fantasy rpg yeah this is where you feel like you're like is this satire i don't know like you know it's yeah. like this is where it's like really getting into that that being said i think thinking back on like my initial experience bouncing from it at a certain point which i'll say where i did and then coming back like knowing that the game does get more interesting made me really enjoy this part a lot more and also like just let it like i think this part of the game really requires you like let go a little bit like to really get swept up in it and it's not hard with like the orchestral soundtrack and and like just the look of the world and yeah, stuff man. yeah the, yeah the the score in this game is like just absolutely fucking ridiculous uh, at all times um, so some of the later tracks in particular, some of the like traversal tracks yeah. are just like oh, totally unbelievable. Um, but yeah, yeah. The opening of this game, I mean, we've talked about it a whole bunch, but like, I, I do really like this, uh, opening bit. I think it's, it, it really does kind of set the tone for the entire game with just like an entire towns full of people, uh, like waving you on as you have to climb this like mountain that's not supposed to be like too exciting or exhilarating. Uh, it's just like, you have to like weave your way around slimes and then it turns out you have to fight a big fucking bird and use your luminary power to hit it with lightning and it gets cooked <laughs> into a Boston market rotisserie chicken, uh, with a side of their incredible Mac and cheese. And then you go back down, um, and, and they're like, Oh shit. Yeah, man, you're the chosen one. Sorry to tell you, you got to go to the, the, to the castle and, and tell the King about it. And he's going to tell you what to do next. Um, which, you know, goes horribly awry, but <laughs> I, I do, I do think, uh, this, this opening in cobblestone is really nice. Cause like, I do think in every game like this, you do have to have the village section, the Palatown. Yeah. yeah. Um, it weirdly, like it's my favorite thing that Zelda has taken from like the JRPG oh structure is just like starting off in your opening village. Every time I always think about the twilight princess village as like yeah. the peak of that for me. I think there's a lot of, uh, Ocarina of time parallels too, in terms of like how act one is structured overall, where it's like, you're really just going around in these like kind of innocent days, getting a flavor of the world. Yeah. Um, but I think the game kicking off as we've often discussed with like, you're in cobblestone, uh, you're told you're the chosen one. You go to the castle and the King is like, Oh cool. You're the chosen one. Throw him in the dungeon yeah. and kill him in three days. And like, that's kind of like really good foreshadowing of like how the game goes later on mm -hmm. you know like it's sort of like it's presenting you with this very formulaic story and then it's like subverting that immediately right um yeah well the thing is though is that the immediately in this case does take like two hours you know 
Like it does, it does yeah, take like <laughs> multiple hours to get to that point. And then even when you meet Eric and you like start your adventure with Eric, like that's another hour on there. And at that point you're like three hours into the game and you're like, Oh man, is this all it is? You know? And, and I think, I think it is really slow going in the early hours, but when you look back on them now where you and I are at, at this point, yeah, it's like, you look back very just fond memories, you know, they're just, yeah. just like, Oh, I'm so glad I did this. I love these people. I love that all this stuff happened. Um, but at the time I understand why people would bounce off this game pretty early on. And I think too, like the fact that, you know, a lot of people going to this game had like this game feels like, even though it is a really good entry point, it also feels like they made it in, in mind of like the loyal fan base, the people who have played like a lot of games before this. Mm -hmm. And like, I think if you went into this game with the prior knowledge of like how the series is you would not bump up against those early hours as much, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like when you, yeah, so you get thrown in the dungeons and you meet Eric, who's your first party mate, who's the thief. And like, that's also where the combat is like, you just can both attack and that's it. And like, you might learn heal and it's like, okay, like when is this going to yeah. change? Um, I would say for me, even the first time I played it, it really starts to like show you, at least in combat, like it starts to show you what is possible when you go to Hato and recruit um, Jade and Veronica, oh, no, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Serena and Veronica. Yeah. They're the two uh, mages who have been sent to, so like at this point, you're with Eric, you're both kind of hiding from the Knights of Heliodor. The king says you're the dark spawn and that you're kind of, because you're the chosen one, you're indirectly responsible for, um, you know, the, the big bad showing up and sending monsters everywhere and, you know, whatever you're intrinsically linked. So by killing one, you destroy the other. That's his logic. Okay. King of Heliodor, we get it. You're secretly the bad guy. (laughs) So, and there are two, like two of his like head knights are always after you, Jasper and Hendrik, who we'll get into. Yeah. Um, so you're at this point, you're just sort of like trying to keep a low profile with Eric and like see if you can find any way like to escape this fate of like being a wanted man, basically. Yeah. Um, and when you meet Veronica and Serena, they're the first characters who are like, we believe you're the luminary and the luminary is good. And we're like here to guide you to that goal. Right. It is worth mentioning that Eric also does believe that you're the luminary and that's why he's hanging out with you, because he, he spoke to uh, essentially like a psychic who was like, you're going to meet the Luminary and he's going to uh, be the person who's going to save you from whatever trouble you're in. Uh, so when right. when he finds out that the Luminary has been thrown into the cage next to him in the prison, he's like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, I guess this was true. Uh, and that's that's why he feels so compelled to break you out. I forget. Why do you why do you end up in the in the Mangle Grove? Do you remember the Mangle Grove? Oh, yeah, that's much later. That's like that's early that, on. Um, that's before, oh, that's that's early yeah, on? before you meet uh, Serena. I th- it's like right when you escape. Uh, oh, I remember. So yeah, you have to, uh, when, when you, when you break out of the prison, um, it's, it's when you decide or when Eric decides that you have to go like see his old friend who he used to steal stuff with, um, Dirk, Dirk. Yeah. And, and you have to get back into, uh, Heliodor city. So you break out of the castle and you have to get back into the city. Um, and when you get there, uh, it turns out that like the thing that, uh, the two of you had stolen or the two of them had stolen together, uh, he has maybe sold, uh, and has been returned to like this temple and you have to go through the mangle grove to get there. And the mangle grove is honestly, th- this is why I wanted to bring the mangle grove up. Um, it is a, the first place you see a cow who uh, predicts the weather, predicts which I think, weather, yeah. which is Incredible. important. Um, and B, <laughs> it's actually the first time that I found the combat to get like really difficult and kind of like, it, it was the first moment in which I was playing this game and I thought to myself like, Oh shit, 
I can't just fly through this. Like I really do have to think about how this combat's going to work. Um, yeah. and it's when you fight the tricky devil who is, uh, Oh, right. Yeah. This like really bizarre character who like could really only exist in like season one, episode four of dragon ball and then never show up again. <laughs> um, because just like nobody's powerful enough to take it on. But like, if you wait like three more episodes, everybody's going to be able to go super saiyan. Uh, yeah. So yeah, th- th- this thing just like turned a guy who's a woodcutter and, a, and like a carpenter into a dog, uh, and then he's like hiding in a treasure chest for like unsuspecting passerbys and like you can kick his ass pretty easily but you just have to make sure that you've leveled up at least like twice before you fight him but I, I just found that fight to be like the holy shit moment for me um, yeah. and then I just went and like grinded for like maybe 15 minutes and then went back and kicked his ass uh, because I, I hadn't learned heal yet the first time I fought it and then the <laughs> second time I went and I had heal and it was like oh now I'm invincible yeah, uh, I think there's yeah. a little bit like it's easier to be under leveled in this game because you don't have to fight everything. So like, yeah, if you just run past monsters, it's like, oh, shit, you didn't do anything. You don't know heal. You can't <laughs> fight the tricky devil. Right. Yeah. And that's um, honestly like one of the instances in which I think that could bite you in the ass. And that really won't happen again until the post game. Right. Yeah, exactly. I do think it's worth now that you point that out, though, it's interesting how I feel like every Dragon Quest game does have that like early early game wall where it's like okay like make sure you're this level like it's almost like fighting brock where it's like you gotta you know be at a certain point and have certain people on your team to take them on yeah um yeah they they do have that in dragon quest 5 and i just hit that in dragon quest 8 also yeah i i started 8 and there's a point where like they literally say like hey there's a weird monster block in the road like make sure you're a certain level before you go there yeah um it's interesting. And I think, you know, while that could sound tedious, I think what it does, it just makes you stay in the world longer. And like, mm-hmm. honestly, even outside of like, there are enemies you can find in the game called metal slimes that like, if you find them and you defeat them, which you can only do with uh, critical hits, which is a whole other thing. But um, if you do defeat a metal slime, you get like a ton of experience and you level up a bunch, which is really exciting. But like, it, it it's still not a ton to ask. Like if you're, if you're like, fighting things along the way you you will usually be the level you should be yeah um until again the post game which we'll talk about later yeah um i guess like in terms of uh you know talking through act one i wouldn't mind because i think really the focus of act one for me is like the hero slowly assembling the team and Absolutely. then yeah once you get the team together um you go around the world getting all the or so like yeah that's act one is basically assemble the team and then you're told by a person on your team, like, hey, you've got to get all these orbs. And then we're going to go to the uh, Yggdrasil, the world tree, Norse mythology. And it's going to be great. You're going to get the sword of light and you're going to fulfill your destiny as the luminary. So that's like the setup of Act 1. Yeah. Act, um, act, I, w- I mean, yeah, Act 1 is just like every fantasy video game story. Like every, <laughs> it is literally like assemble your party, find the, the uh, legendary crystals and bring them together. So you can get the the good sword and then right. fight the big evil person. Uh, um, and, and that's what I, act one of the game is. I guess within that, like, you know, in both like recruiting the team and then in the chapters about getting the orbs, like what were the standouts to you? And also like, how'd you feel about like each of the characters? Yeah, I, I would say that the standout thing for me in act one was less the characters and more the world because it really mm. is just like. It, it's it's like a world tour essentially you just get to go visit every single city that's on the map um and there are like 
you know, uh, hitches in the road here and there where like, okay, you get on your boat, but the boat can't go to the place that you need it to go. So you have to like find another thing that will get you from point A to point B and whatever, um, which I think is worth highlighting because like, as we've mentioned many times, this is a game that you can play in like half hour to 45 minute increments uh, and, and almost treat it like an episodic TV show and like do one thing every night and eventually you'll finish the game. But that said, I, I find that act one or I found that act one was really just like, look at how incredible this place is. You know, you go and visit every single city you go visit. Um, I mean, s- some of the highlights are like uh, Puerto Valor uh, is, is oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, Gondolia is just like an unbelievable place. Um, the one that like really fucked me up was uh, Phenomenon. Uh, oh yeah that place is great which that's a wonderful place yeah just an unbelievably pretty town and 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 uh, this is actually a thing that i'm pulling like directly from the first tim rogers video where it's like every time you show up in a town you think like there's no way that there's going to be another town after this because this must be the main town like this must be the main (laughs) city yeah Uh, and it's not it never is because there's like 15 main cities in this game and every single one of them has its own distinct like characteristic vibe uh, and and like culture in a way totally and even the areas outside of those cities are are kind of imbued with a little bit of all the places that they're connected to as well it just feels really cohesive it feels really seamless um i i would say like the thing that uh i found most interesting of all the places that you go visit well all right the two are the uh the academy the the metal academy which is like a place that you show up where uh, they collect mini medals, which are things that you're picking up throughout the course of the game, um, and and it's like like it's like a school for girls to learn etiquette, I think. But in this case, etiquette is how to go out into the world and collect mini medals, which I just think is like a hilarious. <laughs> conceit it's just so funny it's also one of the few places where monsters and humans live together yeah and there's like a lot of monsters there that are like oh no i'm good don't worry i'm just here to like learn yeah um which, which i, I yeah. also really like uh and that happens every now and then you're like oh no i'm a good slime don't kill me right like, all right yeah. point taken um, um and then the other the other town is uh lana lulu which is um like very clearly supposed to be like a hawaii kind of vibe uh which just has like an amazing story there yeah, I I really I, I love what happens there, and I think we'll get into that. Um, I asked that because I think rather than maybe going through like every B, we can kind of just like pick and choose which ones really stood out to us. Yeah, totally. If you don't mind, I think I think for me, you're right. I think that Act One's strength entirely was like just endearing you to the setting and how like I mean, Phenomenon was a really big standout for me too because it's, it's a town that's entirely devoted to like tourism. Basically, yeah. like they want to find the thing to sell. Um, and there's a mural that like, they're like, Oh, if you go to this mural, you'll, you know, your wish will come true or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the party goes and they get sucked into this like other realm. It's called the other side or something. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of, a weirdly reminded me of, Oh, what was that game we played? Tokyo Mirage sessions, like the other dimension in that oh, game. Yeah. But either way, you're in this kind of like ethereal limbo place and you meet a creature named, uh, it was like Dora in gray. It's like, oh my God. The yeah. names are incredible. I love yeah. it. Um, but you find out there's this like very evil spirit that's like taking advantage of people. Um, and what really fucked me up is that you go there because Sylvanda like finds a lost girl 
and he's like trying to help her. Yeah. Um, and, and then when you're on the other side, it's like you find a journal from someone who is like overtaken by the spirit. And they're like, this spirit will either use your greed against you. And it even targets people of like kind intentions, like beware of the lost girl. Like that's not an actual child. And yeah. like that was a really like that was a deep cut. Like that was a very like you could see in Silvando's face. He was like so disappointed in like the not himself, but just like that. That was how they tricked him. You know, yeah. it's like. Yeah. Which, you know, we'll, we're going to talk a lot about Silvando on this episode. But yeah, just incredible moment. Um, I think you're right in terms of the setting being maybe more powerful than the characters are at this point. Because you're just really getting introduced to all of them. And none of them are really like showing a ton of nuance to them yet. Um, I think of all the character introductions, like uh, Veronica and Serena's intro is fun. Because like they're just like a fun dynamic. They're twins and like... They have very different personalities. Um, and they're also mm-hmm. like a little bit, their introduction, I think, kind of pushes the plot in a more interesting direction because you're not just like two dudes who are not trying to get arrested. You know, like there's a little bit more right, like, okay, right. we know you're the chosen one. Let's get back to that mission. Um, I think of all of the character introductions at this point, I mean, Silvando's is great. Silvando is this incredible he's he's like a jester who performs in the circus but like may or may not secretly also be a knight because he's like very powerful yeah and when you meet him like uh, the town you meet him in uh galopolis the prince is like this really cowardly guy he won't do anything on his own he's like afraid of messing up in front of his dad so like when you get there he constantly asks your party to do stuff for him um and that's when you meet Silvando, and Silvando decides to join you but like you know, there's this creature that the prince is supposed to slay and bring back the body as a trophy for everyone. Then it comes back to life and Silvando kills it in one hit and is like, yeah, you know, <laughs> and like that moment is so powerful that like it in, it like inspires the prince like to do more with his life. And when you meet him later, he has like it's a really like, yeah, I think that every character in the party is tied to a very classic like RPG class. So you have like the thief with Eric You've got the mage and the healer with uh, Serena and Veronica. Apparently, a, a, a like a classic party role in Dragon Quest is the jester, or in D and D, the bard. You know, and that's Silvando. Yeah, right, right, right. But I think what's really interesting is that like all of those classes inform their personality. Like what they do in battle is also kind of who they are as people. And Silvando's like entire essence is like building other people up and like making people feel like they can be a better version of themselves, which is yeah. like really great. And yeah. I think, and that that's, that's like that, that's both thematic for his character, but that's also how he plays mechanically, which is kind of cool because exactly. Like, that's what be, I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Every character kind of pairs up with someone else in, in a way. So like, obviously uh, the, the twins pair up with one another where Serena is the healing mage. And then Veronica is like the battle mage. And then you have, you have Rab and Jade who are, are kind of like, classic foils for one another and then same thing with uh with hero and eric um but the cool thing about silvando is that he just kind of pairs up with anyone uh he he can lift he can lift anyone up uh, and he has pet powers with everyone and he can learn every kind of weapon essentially uh for the most part (laughs) um so he he really can be anything that you want him to be and he he is happy to do that um which is amazing uh it's yeah i i was gonna say of all the character introductions his i think is the most compelling to me his story just was immediately fascinating and it only gets better the more you learn about him as well yeah i think that there's uh yeah i think that like silvando joining the party he's the first character that doesn't feel like a trope in fact like he's 
we don't see many characters like him in RPGs like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, I mean, so it's worth noting like Silvando is like incredibly flamboyant character. And like, I think there are moments where like the game might kind of tiptoe around like elements of homophobia. But yeah. I think what I found really, and there's actually, there's a great piece about Silvando in a gaming magazine. They have an article, Dragon Quest Eleven. Silvando is a complicated gay character. They just sort of talk about how like he at first kind of appears like maybe stereotypical, but the game like makes him so powerful and that's how he wants to be. You know, like the, I always think of the scene later on when he like has the equivalent of Thor's hammer and just like flips it over his shoulder. And, you know, like that's like mm-hmm. it, it, that moment kind of perfectly sums him up where it's like he is going to be powerful in the way he wants to be powerful, which kind of ties into his personal story. Yeah. And I think what I found really nice is like, even though I think um, the the article points out that like the major kind of gripes they had with the game was that they never outwardly state if Silvando is gay or not just sort of implied um yeah and they also say like you know some of his attacks like Jade for example has a lot of attacks that are like seductive and meant to seduce and it ends up with the enemies like falling in love with her um but with Silvando it like poisons them or confuses them which is like just it's it's a nitpicky thing yeah. but it's like an element of like okay like why is this where your brain goes it's, it's unconscious and i don't think it's meant to be hateful and i think the saving grace for me and again i'm not making any claims here but i think like in really loving the character Silvando and kind of navigating moments like that for myself as a player i think what i really loved is that the party never belittles him like the party likes who he is and everyone around him loves him and wants him in their life yeah and like that yeah, there, there's me, not a single person the entire game Silvando meets who dislikes him i mean Silvando is right. is the favorite person <laughs> everywhere he is at all times and that fucking and owns exactly and the people that are like confused by him end up loving him you know like there you know there might be like a, a bump to get over yeah. but they end up being like this guy's incredible so Silvando i think is just an amazing character who i think we'll talk more about you know in the later acts um i also really loved the intro of rab and jade and that was actually when they were introduced um in my original playthrough that was when i started to get a little bit more into the game that's when i found myself like enjoying it more because the town you meet them in is also amazing Uh, octagonia it's like a coliseum place so there's like it's like the, it's sort of like the cell games like WWE, but through Toriyama's art where there are these gladiator contestants who are like all have ridiculous themes. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're looking at this game and the storytelling in this game as a, a series of like anime arcs, then like this is the tournament arc. You, you hit it. Yeah, pretty exactly. early on. Um, and you meet Rab and Jade who are at the time competing in the tournament to get an item, a MacGuffin you need. And then it's revealed that uh, Rab is the hero's grandfather and Jade is like a she knew him when he was like a baby and like was the person who helped him escape when Dundrasil, the capital that the hero is from, was like being overtaken by monsters. Yeah. So like they're the first two, like everyone else has a connection to the hero kind of like indirectly or like because they were told there's like a higher purpose. But Rab and Jade are the first two that like really know and like uh, have a personal relationship with the hero. Yeah. And the scene that follows Octagani, I mean, Octagani is really fun because Jade is just kicking everyone's ass. Like no one stands a chance and Rab just watches, which is like yeah. very funny. It goes into your com- comment about everyone being a foil to the other. 
like Eric is fighting Jay and he's getting his ass kicked and Veronica's like, what are you doing? We need, like, we need to win this thing f- to save the world. And he's right. like, I can't, I don't know what to do. And even <laughs> like in the post game, Eric's like, the bruises Jade gave me still haven't healed from then. Like, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still bruised from that. Um, but I found their, their intro really fun. I really liked how they kind of rounded out the party and the scene that follows Octagonia where like, you visit the ruins of Dundrasil with Rab and he talks about, you know, the hero's parents and like mm-hmm. it, like it really added a personal layer to what is so going back to like the tropiness, like almost every RPG has some kind of destruction of a hometown or like an orphaned hero in some way. Yeah. And usually it's like just the kind of, usually it's almost written out of convenience just to not even have to explain that stuff. But here the game like kind of slows down the action is like, Here's that cutscene you watched during the opening credits, like that castle getting invaded by monsters that you kind of felt nothing for. Like here it is now, right. and here's like who was lost. It was a really, really powerful scene, even the first time. And getting to that point again uh, in the in my recent playthrough, like it brought me to tears. I really loved that moment. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. I think in that it, it's almost another subversion of a thing that you already thought had happened, right? You already think yeah. that you have the moment where the hometown gets destroyed because you know a, as soon as uh, you're revealed to be quote unquote the dark spawn by by the king, uh, he then orders his army to like go to cobblestone and pretty much like burn the place down for having raised the dark spawn. Um, so you're like, oh, shit, my hometown got burned down. And then you find out here it actually happened when you were a baby. Your actual yeah. real hometown got burned down. And now your second found family hometown also got burned down, which is really sad. I mean, just really brutal. But I, I, I agree with you here that this is like, I think, the moment where they take something that 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 generally is written into stories like this as a way to just kind of uh, as a way to just kind of like give you something to cling on to. Um, you know, this idea that like, oh yeah, you, you were the prince, you were supposed to grow up and become the king one day and you're the chosen one or whatever. Um, and, and that was kind of it. And they, they bring it down to this really like personal kind of brutal level, uh, that really landed for me and really was the first moment that I was like, oh my God, I actually care who the hero is because up until that point, I had just been thinking of the hero as like the insert for me. Uh, right. And this is the moment where I was like, oh, my God, no, wait, 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 he's his own character and he has his own thoughts and feelings and opinions and and vibe and and struggles and sadness and stuff. Um, and and I, I was no longer just allowed to imprint myself onto the hero. It was just like, no, no, no. It, it seems like uh, Yuji Hori and team want to write the hero. Uh, and, and I was very yeah. glad to let them. I mean, it, it's just like because basically what happens is there's sort of like a, you know, a funeral ceremony. And I think Rab says something like if if someone is killed by a monster, their soul is kind of stuck. Like normally when someone mm-hmm. dies, they return to the world tree, Yggdrasil, and then like are kind of reborn in some way. Kind of like how the hero is like the reincarnation of of the hero. You know, there's always yeah, yeah. a link. There's always a Zelda kind of thing. Man Lighthouse City. <laughs> there it is. I was like, why do I feel the need to, to hold my breath for a second? <laughs> um but by doing the the sort of funeral ceremony, they're able to like free the spirits of his parents. And like, I think that moment also kind of sums up what it means to save the world in this game. Cause like you're given all these really quiet, tender moments that endear yourself to the setting and to these characters. And like you said earlier, when that's like taken away, all you want to do is this world to continue to exist. 
yeah. and to progress naturally. So any, anything that is like putting a damper on that, you like despise, you know, like mm-hmm. it's really, and, and we'll get into that, I think in act two, but, um, I really love this. And the scene that follows this, when you're with Jade and she's like kind of talking about how, you know, the hero's mother was kind of like a mother to her and, and yeah. like how that like informed her upbringing. Um, and that reunion is cut short by Hendrik, one of the two head knights of the king sent to capture the luminary. And this is the first time that Hendrik, that kind of set up that like, whereas Jasper does suck shit and like, you know, is like easily or like clearly a villain. There's a little bit holding Hendrik back. It's revealed that he, you know, knew the princess or that Jade is the princess of Heliodor. And like, he is kind of torn between his like relentless selflessness and like servitude to the kingdom yeah. and his own personal relationship with, with Jade. Um, and she's like, you know, his sister basically. So that scene where they're like fighting and they're getting flashbacks of each other, I thought was also really compelling. And like, I kind of think like with Jade in, in the talking about the characters, Jade is easily like one of my favorites, but I feel like they give her so much in this scene. And then as the game progresses, like everyone else gets like, big moments like this except for her like, yeah, there's not really totally like a agree. moment yeah. that is given to her that like hits the same notes and and maybe it's because they felt like they introduced her so strongly they didn't need to like do it again whereas like Serena at this point is just sort of like I'm having fun and then like she gets killer scenes later yeah. but I just kind of wish there was like a little bit more of her because this scene I found so effective the the thing about Jade I, I agree with you to a certain extent that there are, I, I think that she gets this one really incredible moment and then is kind of like largely either sidelined to um, stories that I, I think are less interesting in terms of who she is as a character um, yes. or is sidelined entirely right uh, it, it's it's like one of two different versions of being sidelined I would say the one instance in which um, there's actually a moment with Jade that like made me well up was uh, when she finally meets her dad again, who oh, has been yeah. that's incredible, been cleared of being possessed uh, in a, in a way. So uh, you know, very Lord of the Rings style vibe here, uh, where where the king has been possessed the whole time, and turns out it was like the big evil guy, and eventually he leaves King Carnelian's body, and uh, he, you know he comes back to his senses, and it turns out that he's been essentially possessed for like 10 like years yeah yeah i mean it's been a long time it's been like 10 to 15 years of him being possessed and and the moment in which he sees jade like grown up as like a real adult person who like exists in the world uh and is like oh my god you've done so much you're like hanging out with the fucking luminary you're like part of the luminaries group of people like i'm so proud of you it was like this extremely heart-wrenching moment for me i, I really appreciated kind of uh jade's like I don't know, soft desire to have that love from her dad reciprocated for the first time in her whole life and realizing that it actually like wasn't his fault and and he wasn't uh, doing this out of like actual malice as being a shitty father, but like was being possessed by literally Lord Voldemort. Like (laughs) I I thought that that was a really, really incredible moment. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, But but outside of that, I'm very much with you. Yeah. And I mean, I think the reason, you know, I, the reason I feel such a strong desire to like kind of champion this cast for all of them is that I think we feel like we get to know them in those kind of choir moments out of the spotlight, like at camp or in just battling alongside each other. You know, I, what I also really loved about that scene in particular and, and relating it to this earlier scene with Hendrick is that, 
you know, when, when Jade is talking with her father, he's like, I'm, Hey, I'm not possessed anymore. It's like time for you to come home. Like I want, like, I'm sure you're sick of having to travel all that, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's like, this is also kind of what I want to do. Like I, I, my duty as a princess is to like help the people and I've gotten to know them and like meet them yes. and, and like, you know, fight alongside them. Like, that's what I want to do. I don't want to stay here and do that. And and he's like, he's just so proud of her. It's a really beautiful moment. And it is kind of weirdly like the manifestation of, of their dueling philosophies of like, what does it mean to be a knight and a princess when they're fighting in this moment? At, at this point in the story, Hendrick's role as a knight is like, take Vegeta's ego and like warp it into the selfless version of that. It's like Hendrick mm -hmm. is so selfless and so sworn to his duty that he is doing shit that he like kind of deep down knows is not right. Yeah. Um, but he's like so, so loyal that, and I think even Jade says like you're loyal to a fault, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, she does. Um, yeah. So I, I, I love that moment. And uh, yeah, it, it, I think this is where act one starts to get more interesting. And, and what follows this is, you know, you getting the boat with Dave, which like, Dave is, is secret MVP of this entire game. Dave uh, is the is, MVP of the entire world. If you read the books about him that you can oh, find. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> have you, have you read the books about Dave? No. <laughs> Sorry, the way you asked that was like, I feel like I, I'm at recess in fifth grade. Like, dude, did you read about Dave yet? Do you have a shiny Dave? Okay. okay. Pokemon so, so just for context, Dave is, uh, the, I guess like is the number Personally. one to yeah. um to captain silvando for the boat that you end up uh, traveling the world on um and and dave is uh he, he looks like all the other muscle guys who have like the kind of like uh leather hats on with the horns and stuff um his he's just in pink though that's the, that's his like defining feature most of the other ones are wearing yellow masks and his is pink um but anyway uh if you go to lanolulu which we're about to in the story but if you go to lanolulu yeah. there are a bunch of books on the bookshelves of the citizens around Lanolulu that describe the story of Dave. Uh, I think he's from there. Uh, and he's like a legendary figure in the world of Dragon Quest XI S. Um, he, he is like, he is like a fearless nightmarishly brave and valiant warrior uh, who like used to travel from town to town and just save people's lives. And then like kind of disappear into the night, like a superhero. Uh, it's, incredible i highly recommend reading about dave this is this is your new quest when we're done recording this <laughs> i will say too just in case you're wondering um when you do beat the final final boss it's one of those things where it asks you to save but you can keep playing like right before then so oh, okay, like cool. yeah. you, you can continue to navigate the world so i'm like what happens when i beat it do i just like am i done anyway <laughs> you know what i'm doing i'm reading about dave yeah you gotta read um, about dave but yeah, so at this point you get the bow and um, your task is like get all the orbs, which is like, you know, as RPG as you can get. And uh, this is, I think Phenomenon is one of them, which we talked about already. Uh, Lana Lulu, which in my original playthrough, I got to Lana Lulu and, and for whatever reason moved on. Um, not because of it, but just because I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm, I'm getting a sense of how long this game is. I don't know if I like it enough to keep going. Yeah. But this, like, I remember it was a very important moment for me in this playthrough getting to Lana Lulu and be like, okay, I'm back to where I was. And like, I'm so I'm going to keep playing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of a fun quest. This is also like, I think the story that happens in Lana Lulu is like very much like 
weirdly microcosmic of Dragon Quest's like energy as a whole. Because like, oh yeah, you go to Lala Lulu, and actually the first thing that happens is you kind of get lost at sea, and you wake up at the Strand, uh, Death oh, Stranding. Yeah. At the Strand, and you meet a mermaid named Michelle, who goes by Shell, which I I love. Uh, and Michelle, who talks in rhymes, like all mermaids do, is like, hey, I'm so sorry you're stuck at the Strand. Like, Can you go uh, find this dude I love? He's at this fishing village nearby. And she like mentions low-key that she's from like a city of mermaids that may or may not have an orb. And Veronica's like, psst. If we help her, we can get an orb. So we should do it because of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which like, I really love throughout the whole game how like, you know, the party chat feature where like, no matter what your objective is, you can talk to everyone in your party and they'll have like two bits about it. And like Veronica is like always kind of scheming like for an end result, which is yeah, very yeah. funny. Uh, but um, <laughs> like Eric and Veronica always kind of have like the more like renegade side of thinking. And then everyone else is like, it's fun to camp. But anyway, uh, so you go to the fishing village, and then the first thing that happens is like you, you stumble across an an a older woman uh, doing like a pop out book show for the kids, and she's like gather around children for like the legend of the mermaid, and it's like right. this yes, evil yes, yes. wicked mermaid sucked this guy's soul, and you know, and everyone in your party is like, whoa, we know Shell, and she's nothing like that, like that that's whack, that sucks. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, like, I don't know if I really trust Shell at all. Like, we met her shipwrecked, and she was like, oh, can you find my long-lost love? And this whole village is like, mermaids suck. They will steal your soul. I know what the seas are like. I've sailed with Dave. It's it's a thread out there. Um, <laughs> then you meet, I think, you have to go out and save one of the fishermen who ends up uh, being connected to the mermaid in some way. And he's like, please, like the man she's referring to is my grandfather. The curse is like almost done. Just like, don't even bring this up again. Like, let me live my life independent of mermaids. Like, I don't want the village scorning me for this. Yeah. Like my name shouldn't be attached to this at all. Um, you go back and, uh, event this whole time because of like the stories I'm used to and the games I'm used to. I'm like, who is lying? You know, which one of them is the boss in the scenario? Like, cause <laughs> right. I haven't, at this point you haven't battled anyone in a while. Like you've fought a big octopus to save the fisherman, but like, I'm like, this is leading up to a boss fight. It has to be. It's a, it's a video game. Where's the boss fight? Um, and you talk to the shell and she's like, Oh my God, like that sucks. Like, let me go to Lulu, and, uh, they meet and I think like she realizes that like, because mermaids live for hundreds and hundreds of years, the man she's been waiting for has died and this is his grandson. Yeah. And she's like so distraught by it that she turns to sea foam. She like, uh, there's this like myth where, or there's this legend that when mermaids, if they choose to have human legs, they go back into the sea, they turn to foam. And she has this like dramatic kind of poem about like missing her love. And the whole time I'm like, shell, it's not worth it. Like just stick around. It's <laughs> one guy. You live for 500 years. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it ends up ending on this kind of very sad note where like she dies, but because of that or, or because of the events that happened, like this grandson of this fisherman now no longer believes the lies the village is telling. And it's just like a miss. It's like a Romeo and Juliet story. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And there's no boss. And you, and then you go to the city of the mermaids and the head mermaid like helps you out on your quest. So it's like <laughs> this whole time I'm waiting for this like, twist with the boss fight and it's like oh no this is a sad love story but now you're in the mermaid town yeah <laughs> like something about the progression of those events it's, yeah. it's incredible i mean th this is this was the moment where it clicked for me that 
I was playing this game like a TV show. Like that was the moment where I, yes. as soon as that story wrapped up, I was like, oh, there's, I could just save and, and quit and come back later and it'll just be a new story next time. Like that, that was just an episode of Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, right. Very emotionally impactful. I thought it was great. Especially, just uh, to get in the weeds there. But I, I love the moment when uh, she mistakes the, the grandson for the guy because from, oh, yeah. the, from the nose down, they look the same. Uh, because he right. like wears his hat really low, so nobody ever recognizes him when he's in the village, and and she's like, "Oh my god, my long lost love, he's still around." And then he takes his hat off. She realizes. She's fine. like, "Oh uh. man," uh, and and then you find the painting of her in his grandfather's shack. Yeah, it's really sad. It's really sad, and that's actually something that I will talk about in the post game again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all this time, all these like kind of episodic seasons of endearing yourself to this world, what I think the game does really well is in the later acts, they never forget anyone. Like all these characters you meet in these very kind of standalone stories end up coming back in some way that like further aids this feeling that this world is like a living, breathing thing. Yeah. You know, like Vince, your partner in in the WWE in Octagonia, like is weirdly a big character, you know, like yeah. he shows up many times, which is great. And yeah, this, this, this is definitely, I think now that you had the whole cast, this is where the game I think really gets going in terms of like showing you what it's capable of. Yeah. With- Real irony that this is the moment that you bounced. But like, right. Yeah. I remember I told you, you got even more mad at me. Like, why'd you quit then? That was like right when it got good. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Cause you you quit when fighting the giant octopus, which by the way, we didn't mention it, but my favorite moment, maybe one of my favorite moments in the whole game is when you beat the octopus and uh, the game then cuts to you at a party on the beach. Uh, Oh my God. The party's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. There are a couple moments in this game where it's just you at a party uh, and they're all (laughs) great. And that, that goes back to what I was saying, too, about, like, the space between the clap, where it's, like, in a different game, they wouldn't let you enjoy that downtime. It would, it would skip it or show you in a cutscene. Right. But, like, the fact that it lets you literally walk around a party and talk to everyone, yeah. and you want to do that, is really amazing. Um, another really great location in this, like, in this collection of places where you're getting the orbs is uh, Sniffleheim, which is, like, the winter city. Um, yeah. And this felt the most, like, Miyazaki to me, because there's, like, an evil winter sorceress who ends up becoming a friend at the end you know (laughs) and like kind of like i love the fact that like she's like you know freezing she froze the whole city and is assuming the queen's identity and the queen is the real queen is stuck in a book and then when the real queen comes out they're like throw this sorceress in the dungeon and the queen's like no she's actually kind of cool she's just sort of like badass like let her stick around (laughs) hang out she's my advisor now yeah, she's like another queen. We're just queens together in yeah. I, I Like, I loved that. That was such a fun twist. And again, it's not like not everything has to end with like a big boss. It can just have like a fun moment like that. So all that leads to you finally have all the orbs. Uh, you get to Yggdrasil. And like, this is this is the the end of Act One. And I think the moment the game like really doubles down on what happens in the very beginning when the king is like throw him in the dungeon. So like, yeah, th- this was the moment that I really needed you to get to because I knew that yes. as soon as this happened, it, this it was going to completely change your view on the game. I think I think he, if you had made it to Lanolulu the first time and like had continued going a little bit, you probably would have gotten it probably would have gotten its hooks in you. But if you had made it to this so. point, it would have been unstoppable, which I yeah. think I'm I'm glad it did end up happening this time because uh, oh, totally. this is like the as soon as I played this moment for the first time, I was like, there's no way that Steven actually dislikes this game. <laughs> 
So I, I, I want to say just for the listener what happens, and then I would love to hear like what your gut reaction to it was the first time, if you yeah. don't mind. Yeah. Um, so you get to Yggdrasil and like it, it's already like something big is going to happen. This is not like you, at this point you played enough of the game to know that this is not the end of the game, even though this is like the final objective. They're going to the world tree and everyone's like kind of cautiously nervous because this is sort of like seemingly the end of the adventure. You know, you're going to go to the world tree. The Illuminator is going to get the sword of light and then finally be equipped to like seal the the darkness away forever kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you get to the world tree. It's beautiful. It's really like you put all the orbs down and there's a rainbow road up to the top and Mm -hmm. you go through like kind of a garden of Eden area. Um, and you get to the heart of the world tree and everything's going fine. You, you know, your hand lights up, you get the sword and who's that behind you? You guessed it's fucking Jasper. Jasper. And he long ponytail Jasper. He throws like a semi charged, you know, Sephiroth fireball at you and knocks you out and you fight him and you can't land a hit. It's one of those fights where it's like there's something protecting him that you're not equipped to handle. Yeah. Demon Souls Um, boss. Demon Souls boss. And he wipes you out. And uh, then the King and Hendrik show up and Hendrik is like, Jasper, what the heck are you doing? Like at first he's like, Oh, we captured the dark spawn. But then he sees like what's happening. He's like, wait a minute. Something's not right. Yeah. And, and as soon as he starts to realize like that Jasper and the King are, are duping him, the King, like, you know, backstabs Hendrick and reveals to be Mordegon, the like evil Voldemort that's only really been whispered about, you know, and right. it just sort of like Frieza with horns in a robe basically. Yeah. Um, uh, I think like, it's it's scary when he shows up because I think the game does this smart thing with Mordegon where like he as a character is not especially interesting, but you see him so rarely that when you do, you're like, oh shit. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah. you see more importantly the impact he has and we'll get to that later. But um, he shows up and he's like, okay, like I'm, I'm turning this all around basically. And it goes to like one of the, other than the opening of the game and one scene at the end, there are very few like high, like full fidelity cutscenes where like they're doing the full graphical power. Yeah. It cuts to one of those, like what, like the scene in FF seven remake where they're in the Shinra holodeck where it's like stunning, right, you know? Right, right, yeah. Um, and it's Mordegon. Uh, he, he rips the hero's heart out. Basically. He's like, I want your powers. And like, <laughs> puts his hand in his chest and removes the power of the luminary. So he has it takes the sort of light and, and breaks it and, and, and uh, basically just like ruins everything and destroys the world tree. Like you see the world tree kind of immediately go up in flames. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly really shocking. Um, yeah. It's like really it's sad horrifying. and really horrifying. And then, you know, in the midst of like, Basically, the end of the world, it cuts to like, it cuts to black, and then you just see his eyes, and he says, The world is mine. And then it asks you if you want to save. And you're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I want to. <laughs> I don't think I want to save. I think I want to go back to an earlier save and, and yeah. make different choices. <laughs> so what was your what was your like gut response? Because I, I kind of had a feeling something like that was going to happen. And even still, it like 
was a gut punch, but like, how did you feel the first time you saw that scene? I mean, I didn't think that was going to happen at all. I, I, I was perfectly content with this game, just kind of like subverting things in little tiny ways here and there. Weirdly enough, this is not as much a, sub- a subversion as you would think, right? I mean, as you've mentioned a lot, this is like exactly what happens in Final Fantasy VI, right? Yeah. Um, this is like, uh, you know, beat for beat, almost the exact vibe that happens there. Um, but I was just really curious to see what happens afterwards. And like, is this going to be one, one of my main fears about this moment was, uh, that I was going to have the same reaction that I had when playing Guild Wars, uh, Guild Wars, <laughs> the MMO for the PC yeah. years and years ago opens with just an incredible, beautiful world for like 15 levels. And then there's like a big, horrible war that happens. And then they like kind of scorch the entire earth. Uh, and then the world that's left after that is like this kind of like boring, drab, orange nightmare place that I hated being in. And I immediately stopped playing because I just thought it was like so boring. I was like, I don't even want to see the other end of this. I don't want to bring yeah. this world back because I know it's going to take me like literally hundreds of hours to get there because this is an yeah. MMO. And that was my fear with this game um, was that by the time I got to the other side of that save state, uh, I was going to be left with a world that I hated after being built up and loving the place for so long. And I guess what I didn't realize was actually what came next, but that that's act two. So I guess we could talk about that after, but I, I, uh, I, that was my main concern. I love this as a plot element and I think it's great. And they pull it off perfectly. I, I think like this moment only works because of the execution of what comes after. And I totally agree. They completely nail it and they, they earn this moment. But in the, in, at the time I was like, Oh shit, this could go very South for me. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, totally. Yeah. I get that. Cause I mean, so much of like you said earlier, this episode, what you loved about act one was the setting. Yeah. And the fact that now that is up in flames is yeah. like, okay, well, do I like Eric enough to keep playing? <laughs> I don't know. Right. And, the, and at the time the answer was no. Uh, at the time, I, I as much as I liked some of these characters, I didn't really, I wasn't playing it for them, um, and and it's what came next that made me start playing it for the characters more than the setting. I agree, I agree. So I think we'll probably take a quick break here, and then get into Act Two. Yeah, that sounds good. Hell yeah! Talk to you soon. Goodbye. Steven, we're here. We're in Act 2 of Dragon Quest XI S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch, now available for Xbox Game Pass, previously for the Nintendo 3DS. And <laughs> uh, hey, you guessed that Yggdrasil is toast, baby! Yeah. yeah. Every, every leaf's a life, no leaves left. Yeah. Here's the thing about, about my playthrough of this game, is that it, it has taken me over a year to play the game, and I'm still not done with it. Uh, so we, we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the prospects of finishing this game, I think before recording this episode. And at a certain point I realized that I was like playing it outside of the comfort level of how I had been playing it before, which is why I haven't finished it yet. I think was like, I got to a point where I was like, I am literally grinding to beat this game in a timely manner for the episode instead of like actually enjoying it, which is why I put it down for a couple of days and just played yeah. Death Stranding, <laughs> which we'll talk about again soon. But, uh, that said, um, 
my experience of playing this game over the course of a year plus, um, I think was really interesting and really eye opening in terms of like how how I think you're so, kind of supposed to play games like this, uh, or at least how I'm supposed to play games like this. But I, I had heard from that Tim Rogers video and from other places that like the way you're supposed to play these games is like an hour or two before bed every night and kind of treat it like an episodic adventure. And that's really what I was doing for a really long time was like I would play it for an hour or two and then move on to another game that we were talking about, you know, for another episode or something. The big exceptions for that were the huge breaks I took in between uh, sections of this game. The first break was here. The first break was when Yggdrasil fell. I, I started Act 2 and realized what the vibe of it was going to be. And I was like, you know what, actually, I'm going to put this game down for a little while and I'll see if eventually I get pulled back into it, which I inevitably mm. did. Um, which is why we're talking about it in a bonus episode. But I actually think it was really interesting. I took like three or four months off from this game after the fall of Yggdrasil uh, before I came back and like decided, okay, I want to bring the world back to the state that it was before this happened, which is like, in in my own strange little headcanon that I've created for myself, weirdly a powerful way to play the video game. Not the intended way, but uh, I, I'm glad that I did it this way. I think that I, I played it on my own terms. I, I'm I'm happy about that. Yeah, I'm I'm happy as well. I I think I had the exact opposite experience, <laughs> where like the world of Yggdrasil fell, and like I I think I was actually playing it in that kind of episodic way. I mean, I was definitely going faster because it was like getting its hooks in me finally. Yeah, and I was like really excited by that. But I think, like, as soon as Yggdrasil fell, um, if, if Act 1's strength is the setting, Act 2's strength is very much the characters. Yeah. And I felt so devastated by what had happened that I just needed to know what happened next. Right. And make sure they're okay. Yeah. And make sure they're okay. And and, and Act 2, uh, even even before we discuss the postgame, this is, this is why I love this game. Act 2, to me, at least narratively, is by far the best part of the game. And it did need Act 1 to be as good as it is. I totally agree. Um, you know, yeah. as, as much as we have said, like, it is easy to, to maybe bounce off the early hours of this game, they were needed because, like... Um, there are even scenes where you know characters will think back on like the moment Eric and and the hero. I almost said Steven because I named him Eric and, and the hero <laughs> are uh, you know jumping out of the castle you know in a waterfall like escaping for the first time, which was like a really stressful moment when it first happened. But now it's like oh we were just kids. The so world silly. is actually fucked now. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think what's really brilliant too, and apparently this is like I think this is unique to the definitive version. But I think in Dragon Quest XI S, pre-definitive edition for Nintendo Switch, now in Game Pass, they added like little episodes that were specifically about um, four of the party mates uh, in this sort of like interim between Acts 1 and 2, like what's happening with them in that time. Oh, wow. I can't imagine this game without those. Because like yeah, for what? me, like starting Act Two, not playing as the hero, and instead like playing as other characters for like a good amount of time before you play as the hero again. And even then, he's in the body of a fish, which we'll talk about <laughs> in a bit. Uh, really does a lot to kind of displace you emotionally. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think my it's hard to choose a favorite because they're all good. I think some are definitely better than others, but um, there are four episodes like after you save, it kind of like cuts the black and then almost like truly like an episode will be like, uh, you know, Sylvando's chapter, Eric, it's, it's Sylvando, Eric, Jade and Rab each get their own standalone chapter. Yeah. Um, and it begins with Sylvando's, which I think is such a good choice because he is like, we've said the, the ray of, of positivity and joy throughout the entire game. Right. Um, 
you always know he has more going on to him than just like being happy all the time. There's definitely like a serious side to him and something he's like hiding from himself and from others. But he's constantly like the heart of the party. And it begins with like him. And it's like a, it's like an ashy sky. It looks a lot like the world of ruin in Final Fantasy VI, which like in that game, the villain kind of destroys the world halfway through in a very similar fashion. And it's Silvando on a boat with Dave and Silvando is like looking out at sea. And he's like, this is, this is worse than death. Like seeing the world like this, and not knowing if my friends are alive or dead and that I got out, like I, I would have rather died. Like he yeah. just kind of says that like with no, it's very like heavy. it's yeah. very, to, to see him of all people say that. And and then Dave, of course, MVP of the world goes like, right, I've had enough and like slaps him. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, dude, you are Silvando. Like I am Dave and I'm your, like I report to you and I'm Dave. Like yeah. he doesn't say that. That's what I'm hearing in my he's head. Like, he's like, your, your mission literally uh we, we actually didn't even mention the when, when we meet sylvando's dad um and and mm. sylvando's dad is like how dare you come back to me before you've made the world happy yeah um this is before the world tree has fallen dave is like your life goal is to make the entire world smile and now is the best time ever to do the thing yeah. that you set out to do. Right. There's so never powerful. been. A, a, right. I, I thought that was incredible. And then he's like, you're right, Dave. Sorry, I lost my cool. And he's like, then he's just like back. Yeah. Um, but but that beginning, like playing as Silvando and you go to uh, Gondolia, which is basically Venice, you know, and it's like one one of the one of the more like lively spots you go to. And it's 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 devastating. Like, yeah, no one's there. And the people that are there are like fighting over scraps or like passed out in the street. And yeah. like being Silvando, like try, at first you're like trying to make people laugh and they're like, I haven't eaten in a week and like I need to kick that guy's ass so I can eat basically. Right. Yeah. There's like a, there's like a, a band of thieves that are pretty much just like destroying the town over and over and yeah. over again, essentially. Yeah. And this kind of goes into Silvando's strength as a character where he's like, he tries to win over the thieves, you know, with his charm and they're like, and then you end up having to fight them and Silvando reveals how strong he is as well. Right. And they're like, oh shit. And Silvando even is, is perceptive enough to be like, you guys can barely handle like a weapon. Like, what are you doing? threatening people and they're like oh we all used to be fishermen but like we can't go to sea because it's full of monsters so we've got like nothing left this is right. all we can do is like terrorize our neighbors with broomsticks into giving us like table scraps and Silvando, through his own amazingness just like inspires them to to not give up hope but in a way that doesn't feel trite he like really encourages these people to find a reason for living and they end up joining his like parade of adventurers they're all like they right. all immediately fall in love with Silvando and then at that point the word parade being used very literally in this case yes <laughs> he's like you don't look the part here wear this and they they're kind of in like Mardi Gras gear yeah um with like you know there's, there's a like parade float. there's an actual parade float yeah yeah and at that point it's just you going from one spot to another and finding people who need help you even find a cow who like can't produce milk anymore and you make her laugh and then she can and she can <laughs> the weather again yeah so like it really is like a microcosmic moment of like making the world a better place in a way that is like truly Silvando. I found this chapter to be like really stunning and that like it ends up becoming very funny and lighthearted by the end. And by the end, you've got like 18 people in your party. You're unstoppable. And like everywhere you go, people want to join you. But like it starts off so heavy and it ends with like Silvando kind of like quietly telling himself like he will find his friends again. Like 
making right. him, he, you know, it, it starts with him doubting himself for the first time, like ever on camera. And then it ends with him also making himself hopeful after inspiring everyone around him. It's, it's a beautiful moment. Like this could be the whole game as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> this is an incredible chapter. I, I really liked it. I, I think so too. Yeah. Th- this is, I think the moment where I realized how much I really love these characters, right. Was like, not, yeah. not only was I, loving having this experience as Silvando just trying to like bring joy back to a really completely fucked broken world but also strangely enough him constantly reminding himself like I'm doing this until I find my friends again really made me also want to go find the friends again and like see what they're up to and like make sure that they're okay because I was sure that like some of them had died or something you know specifically the hero I was like the fact that this game is now allowing me to play as someone who is not the hero makes me think the hero actually died during that. Yeah. Um, and that I was going to play as the rest of the party or something. And, and like, maybe he'd come back later, like a fucking Justice League reviving Superman situation. But like, <laughs> I don't know. Right. I, I totally agree. I mean, it, it, it makes you as uncertain as Sylvanda. Like, you're really in his shoes in that moment. Like, yeah. I have no idea where everyone else is. Uh, the next chapter is Jade's, uh, which I enjoyed, but is definitely the weakest of the four, unfortunately. Yeah. And this, I think, kind of goes hand in hand with what we were saying earlier about her character, where like she's often like given stories that aren't to the character's like strengths or interests. So like, right. It starts off kind of cool. Like she's just sort of being Dave, like wandering from town to town to fight monsters. And yeah. like <laughs> she ends up, she's like, I'm just, I'm just strong as hell. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go around and kick people's asses until I find the hero. Yeah. Like literally like what Sylvanda is doing, but just like, I'm good at kicking things in the face. So that's what I'm going to do. And she gets back to Octagonia, which like, that was also one of my favorite places in the first act. So to see it, in a state where like monsters have basically just taken over and have enslaved everyone there. It was like really sad. Yeah. And then uh, you end up like in this sort of like, you find out that they're basically throwing all the old fighters into this like pocket dimension where they just are like basically like thrown in a dungeon. And when they do get to leave the dungeon, they have to fight like ridiculous amounts of monsters for the enjoyment of a monster crowd. But like, it's not like a friendly competition. It's just like torture basically. Yeah. Pretty much until they die or until they turn into monsters themselves. Right. So, so Jade is also kind of like Sylvando trying to show up and like give people hope. And it was really cool to see her do that and to see her like fight alongside the old fighters and eventually them like fighting with her to like beat this big bad. Unfortunately, I feel like most of the story is about how the monster wants to put her in like a Playboy bunny suit. And like that is where the focus is. And it's like, yeah. It's just it's just weird. Like it feels like out of place, and it shouldn't have been like if you're giving all these characters like a, a moment to have their personal story. It felt kind of like an insult to the character to have so much of the story be about that. You I know? totally agree, and it doesn't even end yeah. with success, which I think is like the yeah. big the big shift here. Right? Is like the the story ends with her actually like losing and like being held captive pretty much indefinitely yeah. she then becomes like a damsel in distress it's like a complete weird like 180 in terms of the way they've been treating her character up until this point yeah yeah i, was I wasn't a huge fan of this bit honestly i i really only liked it for the like seeing like vince and the other fighters again yeah and, like yeah you know the moments were and i, I think you know th- this story is continued later when you go back but yeah it was it was it was not fair to jade especially compared to like what the other characters get. Like we see a whole new side of Silvando and we get to see him succeed for being himself. It would have been really nice to see the same for Jade, but instead we got, we got this, but 
that leaves us with Eric's, which Eric's and Rab's, which were both incredible. I Eric's is really neat. It was kind of mysterious because he's like he wakes up in a dungeon and there's a slime that like talks to him and is nice and he's like what the heck all right and ends up like the slime like knows like a little bit too much about him. It's the first time his sister is mentioned, which is like a bigger uh, plot beat later. Yeah, um, which I really I love that story. It feels like all the characters that were maybe a little like absent in Act One become like the stars of Act Two. Like Eric and Serena and others really get like incredible moments. But um Eric like goes through this dungeon and is eventually like surrounded by monsters and, and the slime reveals itself to be the seer and is like, okay, I can give you the seer is the is the like kind of guide that originally told Eric to meet up with the luminary in the first place. Mm-hmm. And the seer is like, the only way you can survive this is like, I can give you this extraordinary power, but you need to lose your memories. You'll, you'll have your memories wiped. Yeah. And Eric is like, I'll make new ones, whatever, do it. And it was like a really like heroic moment, I think yeah. for him to be that selfless to like, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll somehow make do. And it's like a really cool scene too. It's like one of the more, it's one of the scenes where I really felt the state of the action and of like how many monsters were there. I, I enjoyed Eric's a lot. I, th- I think it's the first like real moment you see Eric as a hero too, right? Because like up yeah. until that point, he's just kind of like, I don't know, a Super Saiyan trunks, but like a thief. I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I, I didn't really have a lot yeah. of characterization for Eric up until that point. I just thought of him as a blank slate who just existed to like be the friend of the hero. And like that didn't even really work for me up until this point. Um, I agree. And, and this is the first moment where it's like, oh, not only does he have a personality but he is like an extremely heroic person um yeah who like really does belong on this team which i really think like just kind of goes to highlight the strengths of these of these chapters and why jades doesn't work for me as much is because yeah. like a- as you mentioned Silvando's is all about him kind of doubling down on being himself and using that as a way to you know bring joy back to the world and like essentially like reunite the party like Silvando is like the uniting factor that brings the party back together um yeah. you know e- eric's very similar Um, but like involves him like actually having a personality and instead of like taking things from people he's giving something up um which i think is is really powerful uh rabs is uh, we're about to get to but the thing about jades is like she comes into it with this kind of like almost destructive personality right like she's coming into this like killing monsters as a way to like i i think almost cope with the fact that she lost against monsters right she's like taking them out one by one as a way to like get revenge although she's not really getting revenge in the way that she wants and like that destructive path leads her to a place where she's put in danger and like it seems like there should be a rebuking of that that should allow her to overcome it and instead she just becomes a damsel in distress like it's real i think that that's yeah, really frustrating for her as a character I, I, um, totally yeah i i share that absolutely i think like yeah it, and it's also like the more we praise the other episodes the more i'm frustrated by hers because i think she deserved the same thing you know yeah um, it's, it's one of the only but, moments in the game that i was like oh i just gotta get through this you know Right, or like right. generally it was a joy to sit down and play this game for every single hour of the 80 hours I played so far. Uh, this is like the one moment where I was like, eh, not so much. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. But Rabs, I think also might be like, I think if I had to choose, I don't know, it's hard to choose my favorite here, but Rabs is kind of doubles down on the feeling we all got in act one with like the scene in Dundrasil. Yeah. Because Rabs is largely like him in this 
flashback he's like kind of almost like a star trek episode like stuck in a timeline that he's like not sure if he's like actually there or not yeah because time is like you know it's it's when he was it starts off like when he was king and then it cuts to like his son being or his daughter being born and then suddenly his daughter is asking uh, or erwin the hero's father is asking Rab's permission, Lord Robert, uh, his original name. Mm-hmm. You think if you would make an alias, it wouldn't be as just changing the vowel in your name, but here we are. Uh, Rabort. Rab- <laughs> <laughs> Lord Rabort, can I marry your daughter? Uh, <laughs> and even though Hero is, is like, you know, blank slate silent protagonist, I really loved his dad. Um, and we yeah. get to meet him in like a big way in Rab's flashbacks. Erwin is like, because he's just a knight, like he's not of any royal lineage which is why he's so nervous to ask like i know i'm no one but i love your daughter and like i know i would be you know like good for this kingdom and you know like i'm not trying just to marry into royalty like this is this is real and rab's like yeah and he's like i know you erwin like there's always this kind of bittersweetness where he's like he's trying to both be present for his duties seemingly in the present even though he's in the past but every now and then he like what really struck me is there's a surprise birthday party for rab that's thrown by young hero who is voice like whenever hero is a kid yeah he has a voice and like everyone's there like the other leaders of the towns you've met you know as a player there are just people who like own the tavern in the town like hey don't forget about us and there's a line he has like really brought me to tears he was like oh my god like i loved the people here so much you Mm -hmm. know and like it is kind of a parallel at this point rab and the player have both lost like a kingdom of some kind you know we've both lost a world that we have once loved and you know learning more about what dundrasil was like and learning more about what the hero's childhood was like and what his parents were like like i really really valued that and then of course it's revealed his like guide through all this is like like a playboy bunny of a playboy-esque magazine he has yeah that it, he's like oh i just read it for the articles which is kind of a funny ogler's gag. digest ogler's digest it's called <laughs> god but that's revealed to be like did you get ogler's digest by the way as an item later in the game i did yeah I unbelievable did. that that's an item you it, can unlock so funny and equip oh my god <laughs> anyway that aside it's funny too is hendrick also reads it like he's he never breaks once but the first time he sees that copy he's like that's the vintage edition <laughs> like you know, it's like he has like the like manga like exclamation points yeah. everywhere it's very funny but anyway that person is like leading him through this like dreamlike memory and then it's revealed that she is actually this sort of um like dalai lama-esque person who is in this sort of like limbo realm with rab and and this was like the first trial where he went into this place between life and death to train to fight Mordegon and the first trial she put him through was like resisting the temptation of illusion so like it ends with him realizing that this is an illusion because like the originally she's like you can stay here forever if you want like why are you leaving this behind you you can have the life you wanted to have before Dundrasil was destroyed and he's like I can't because I know that while I'm here everyone else is fighting and I can't do that I thought that that was another, again, another, like, you know, Rab is someone who is, like, pretty reliable in the story, but is definitely, like, kind of stuck on his past trauma. You know, he lost his children. He lost a kingdom. And, like, to see him have the strength to resist the urge to live in that memory forever, I think, was a big moment for his character. And, like, yeah, it was really just cool to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, actually, I don't even have anything to add to that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I felt playing through that. I just thought it's incredible. I, I, I really enjoyed seeing um, the kingdom in its prime a little bit, even though you're mm-hmm. only seeing it from the inside of the kingdom. Yeah. Just just the uh, ability to see all these characters that you would go on meeting later, you know, 15, 20 years prior, I thought was really interesting. But yeah, I just want to I want to move on to the next bit because it gets really good. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's the last of the character episodes. And then it cuts to, like we said earlier, the hero as a fish and uh the mermaid town is like being like this this is a giant demonic like sea creature that's just pounding on this kind of barrier yeah. of nautica it, it really got to me because that was also one of my favorite towns i'm like no 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 not nautica too fuck this yeah exactly and that, that's like how i felt the whole time i was like fuck like you never know mortagon as a character really but you want to kick his ass so badly right. after seeing yeah, it doesn't even matter like, what his see- plan is or what his end goal is yeah. or whatever like just fuck him <laughs> <laughs> fuck him yeah, yeah fuck mortagon so the queen mermaid's like i hid you as a fish so like they wouldn't know you're still alive but like <laughs> you have your little you satchel gotta go still yeah yeah you're a, fin, you're it, a fish it, with a little tool belt it, it's so funny <laughs> um i love it now you can finally talk to the shark merchant but yeah. um i she's like okay now you, you gotta like you gotta get fished basically like you know get get hooked on a line and and you'll be you'll be all right so you basically leave and like it's assumed that Nautica is just like done for, you know, like as you escape, which is like really sad. Yeah. Um, it ends up being okay, which like I was relieved, but also kind of like confused. Surprised. Yeah. Um, but like in that moment, it's like, oh my God. And you get caught up and it's like real, real world of ruin vibes, like purple sky. There's a dude who's been like fishing for a week and he caught you a human and he's like, <laughs> I can't eat you. And you end up crawling back to what is cobblestone, which is now ironically called the last bastion. And in the interim, oh my, oh my God, Brendan, there's such a great moment where as when you're like leaving Nautica and, and you're being kind of explained what happened, it shows like a kid wandering like a destroyed town, like seeing all these like dead bodies and hiding in a church. And then it's like, but a hero will come and you see similar looking boots to the hero, but then it's like another figure reaches down and it's fucking Hendrick. It's Hendrick. It's yeah. Hendrick. Oh my God. I've been holding, uh, this whole episode has been me holding in my like passionate love for Hendrick. Yeah. I, I have, I'm such a sucker for this type of character who is like sort of like has such a soldier's mindset. They're like, maybe like a good person stuck on the wrong side of a war or something mm-hmm. like a fantasy story, but they eventually side with the good guys. And like, seeing seeing Hendrick like finally like fighting for what is left and not giving up his like knighthood even though his king is like hiding in a tent was like so powerful yeah. you know I talk about like this is really Hendrick's episode even though now we're the hero again like Hendrick kind of carrying everyone back to Cobblestone, a city he was told to burn down. And it's real that the, the people, you know, you go back and you see uh, Gemma, your childhood friend, and Sandy and your mom, everyone's still alive because even before everything, Hendrick ordered them to be spared. Yeah. And he's like, We're, we already destroyed the town. That's so big enough. We can't do this. So, and there's still kind of like tension. Like Hendrick's not really happy to see you. Like you both have a lot of reason to not trust each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Hendrick has a lot of guilt that he was like duped for so long um, and doesn't really like, you know, want to believe that he was wrong either. So he doesn't really like look at you very often. 
and like it, it takes a while, but like you end up kind of fighting alongside Hendrick. It's, to like, it's the king. The king. The king pulls you both into a tent and is like, right. you guys got to get over your shit. Specifically, you guys got to get over your shit at this exact moment because there's an army of like 300 monsters <laughs> coming to take out this village that used to have like 15 people living in it and now has yeah. maybe 12. Right. And is the last bastion. Right. You know, just by extension of that. So. So you guys go out and you fight together. Yeah. You fight together. You fight this like onslaught of enemies and it's so, it's just so thrilling and, and you know, it's going to happen eventually, but like after saving, saving, you know, what remains of the bastion, I think the King is also like, you know, you've got to go with a luminary now and like really save the world. Right. Cause like we can't survive here forever. And there's a turning point where Hendrick like event event. Oh, you know what it is? You like explore ruins and you find Jasper again and Jasper has revealed himself to be like he's like actually a demon now yeah and he uh he is sided like fully with Mordegon because he was always jealous of Hendrick and you learn more about like their childhood growing up with Jade and like how like everyone loved Hendrick it's like a very like Loki and Thor kind of relationship Mm -hmm. and you know fighting Jasper with Hendrick like eventually you know, in that journey, he's like, you know, I've been very cruel to you. Like, I hope you find a place to forgive me. And then, you know, making your way back to the last bastion, he like kind of gets on his knees and he's like, I know I don't deserve your trust. But like, will you allow me to like journey with you? And there's a shot where like the hero is like smiling. And is like, of course, Hendrick, I want you in my party this whole time. And they shake hands instead of him bowing to him. And it's like, oh, it's really good. Hendrick joins the party. So good. <laughs> I, 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 I knew it was potentially going to happen. But like once it does, it's like it is the opposite of the world tree falling. Like Hendrick joining the party is like <laughs> so thrilling. Just incredible. Yeah. Um, did you have anything to add to, to that moment? Or No, not really. I, I just I, Hendrick becomes one of the best characters in the game. Uh, he's incredible if, if, yeah, if not he, maybe the best character in the game Hendrick is awesome he, and he's kind of like he rounds up the party so well because he's so like I, I think I just love like stern knights that are secretly comedic gold because he's just like so like kind of like stuck in his ways that like whenever there is crazy stuff happening it's just like very funny to see happen yeah and he's just so like actually like it's nice to see one of, you know, the whole time you hear people like they think you're the dark spawn and they're like, thank God Hendrick's here to save the day. And you're like, fuck Hendrick or fuck Jasper. <laughs> like these guys aren't the heroes. I'm the hero. But Hendrick like really was actually the hero too. Yeah. He just was, you know, confused. Ugh, I love Hendrick. Anyway. You make your way out and I think that's, I think you run into Silvando, right? Isn't that what happens next? Yeah. It, basically at this point, it's sort of like a mirror of act one where you're like slowly re-recruiting the party. And I think you you were talking about sort of like the act structure of the game and like you know people say act one for like the pre Yggdrasil fall act two for now and then act three for the post game but I think you're right in that like if you were to really construct it narratively act two is like reconstructing the party and then act three is like the end of act two i agree yeah I, yeah well, once once you've rebuilt the party and you have a quest that takes you to the end of the game before the post game that to me feels like act three uh very yeah. much uh yeah I, I, um, I, I i've been holding that in for most of this but i, I do really feel that, <laughs> that this game has four acts not three um and that uh, the post game is really just like an extra act that they tack on if you want more dragon quest 11 which you should totally. by the time you're done with it. But yeah, so yeah, at this point you go and you you uh, reunite the party uh, essentially one by one for the most part. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of what like the highlights were in this case. Yeah, so I mean, it's funny, you know, having had the character chapters. Like a lot of them, it's sort of like you're just seeing like the logical end result of how those chapters ended. So like 
by the time you meet Silvando, he's like, you know, has an actual full parade now and is like a celebrity in all these towns. Yeah. And, you know, he's the first person you get back. I think Rab is really interesting because you go to this like temple where they're like, you should have, if, if Dundrasil wasn't destroyed, you would have come here as a kid to like study under the mentor that Rab is with like in the other dimension. Right. For like six years, right? Like you're supposed to spend yeah. like years training. But she died protecting the place. She's like, kind of like a spirit guy yeah. for Rab. Um, and you go there and you're trying to find him and you find, that's when R- Hendrix sees uh, Ogler's Digest because you find like right, yeah. a seemingly dead body meditating and you only know it's Rab because there's a copy of Ogler's Digest like yeah. by his feet. So you go into the spirit realm with him and you learn like Quadra Slash while he learns like a Kamehameha move. Yeah, it's he- awesome. Uh, heavenly, no, heaven, Heaven's Gates? Pearly Gates. Pearly, Pearly Gates. Gates, that's what it is, yeah. Um, that was a really cool moment, and like, it's really scary too, because Mordegon even finds out you're there, and right. she's like, how does he know we're in limbo? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, so like, that was really cool. Um, getting Sylvando back is great. Like, at this point, this part of the game, like, you f- start to feel hopeful again. Like, the boys are back in town is playing on loop, basically. <laughs> like, it's just a great time. Yeah. Um, you save Jay, like you were saying. You go back to Octagonia, which is now, like, a monster casino. And it's uh, nice. I love like, the monster you, casino. I had such a too. good time in the monster casino. All of the, not all of, but a lot of the machines are rigged for you to win. So you just win, like, constantly. And what's great is that there's a bunch of prizes that you can get, like, a ton that you can get. But the on, there's only one that actually stays after uh, this whole chapter is over, which is a love potion, which I stocked up on. I had like a hundred love potions before <laughs> I moved on. That's good because it's a crafting item that you can't buy. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so you go and you you fight the monster that like trapped Jade and it is nice that she gets to kick his ass and like everyone's like afraid to watch because it's like so like yeah. <laughs> they don't even show you what happens. <laughs> this this part felt like like I'm glad she got that moment after her chapter ended in her like being a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. And what I think is funny is that the once you've like saved Octagonia and saved Jade and she rejoins your party, everyone Octagonia is like we thought the casino was nice, so we just kept it. Like even the monsters are gone, but the casino is still here. So now it's a casino instead. Yeah. Kind of move with the times, which like I thought was kind of interesting. Did you spend a like, lot of time in the casinos in this game? I did. I really <laughs> liked playing yeah. poker. The slime machines, not as much. I never really understood what was happening in the like slime quest. Slime oh my machine. god! Yeah, slime quest has literally eleven pages of of uh, instructions. <laughs> Which I was like, I maybe one day I'll read these, but for now I'll just play poker. Playing poker and then like the double or nothing thing was like mm-hmm. really addicting. And I and I wanted to get certain items. So yeah, it was I, I really enjoyed the casinos in these games for whatever yeah. reason. There was about like a whole day where I just like had my switch open next to my laptop as I was working and I just like would play poker for like a couple of hours <laughs> in there. It was really fun. I think I think my favorite chapter is Eric's in this case because he has his memories gone, so he doesn't know who you are. Right. And when you go to Sniffleheim, everyone's turned to gold, and you learn that you learn the backstory with him and his sister, where they were both they're both orphans that were captured by Vikings to kind of basically be slaves, and they like yeah lived in a cave with Vikings. And his sister's like a really fun character. I almost wish she was part of the group because me I just too. I was really upset that she didn't join the party later. Yeah. 
she almost has more of like the personality you expect Eric to have. She's yeah. like very conniving and like, you know, even like in tender moments, she's still kind of thinking about like what it, it, it she's great. I, I love I, uh, Maya. What was her Mia. name? Yeah. Mia. Mia is incredible. Uh, but yeah, so you learn like what they went through as kids and that one day Eric for her birthday, like stole her this like gold necklace and he's like, Hey, happy birthday. And she's like, what, where'd you get this? Uh, as luck would have it, it's cursed, and whatever she touches turns to gold. Yeah. Um, and when she tries to take it, like, avenge, like at first, she's like turning things to gold, and she's like, oh, we could buy our way out. We could be rich. We don't need to do, you know, stuff for the Vikings anymore. And Eric's like, cool, but like, you know, chill. And then one day she turned a seagull into gold, and Eric's like, this is, this is fucked up. Like, you yeah. killed something. This was, this was like a living thing, and you, and you turned it to gold. Like, that's not okay. Yeah. And she's like, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. And uh, tries to take it off, and by doing so, ends up turning into gold, which at this point in the game is revealed that this is basically the incentive for Eric's quest. He wanted to find the luminary to find redemption for mm-hmm. this or yeah. some way to save his sister. And it's ironic that he lost his memories because now he's like, we're learning his backstory as he's forgetting who he is. Yeah. I love Silvando's like, he's like, now that Eric lost his memories, he's actually being polite. Like Veronica's going to love this when I tell her, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> but uh, meeting his sister tragically turns out to be the villain who turned everyone to gold. And she was revived by uh, Mort- Mortagon to be one of his sentinels, like one of his big bad guys, which like, yeah. One of them was the big fish. One of them was the monster who captured Jade. Like there's like, you know, like seven of them and you fight her and it's like a really, it almost felt more like a persona boss fight than anything else. Cause it felt so personal and such like mm-hmm. a, like actual reflection and manifestation of like their relationship and like the things they had to get over as people, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like, just a really like the scene where you finally beat her and she comes to her senses and he like dives to like pull her out and he turns to gold like as they're do- like just incredible, like a really great scene. I'm really glad she was saved because I, I didn't want her to be, I didn't want his whole incentive to be at, at the case of her suffering. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm really glad she like got out and like they were able to both move on from it together absolutely yeah and and well actually i I was just about to talk about act three stuff or act (laughs) four stuff but yeah sorry keep going um but yeah that was a really incredible moment and her you know like him getting his memories back as he decides to like forgive her and himself and they like move on from that yeah just beautiful. Something about Sniffleheim is all about like redemption and forgiveness. I don't know why, but like <laughs> there's a lot of redeemed villains in Sniffleheim. Yeah. Uh, and that all leads to, so at this point you've got everyone back except for the Veronica and, yeah. and Serena, the twins. Um, Serena's got a great in- entrance where like you're in, I think it's somewhere around Sniffleheim or like a wintry rocky area and like a monster shows up and uh, you see like a gust of wind and she's like on a mountain playing the harp. Uh, so cool. Yeah, it's really like, rad. Uh. It's it's her first moment of like she's usually someone who's like kind of in the background and just sort of like happy to be there. Yeah, she gets very overshadowed by Veronica for most of the game. You know, like yeah. so so much of the character building and focus is on Veronica being this character who is like very outspoken um, and is kind of like leading the charge on what she thinks should be happening in a lot of instances. And like you said, Serena's just kind of happy to be there. Uh, she's just like glad to yeah. be part of it because she was told. Uh, well, both of them were told. Uh, early on like you need to go out and you need to find the luminary and you need to help them uh, save the world essentially so like Serena is just like very content in the fact that they have done one half of that plan so far 
Yeah. So you find Serena and, and you're like, oh, where's Veronica? And she's like, well, I don't know. I sense her somewhere. You're back in Arborea and you're looking for a way, like the kind of MacGuffin at this point is like, Rab's like, if we go to Arborea, there might be some kind of like air vehicle there. Cause that the legend of er- Erdwin mm-hmm. is that like he and his comrades like flew to the heavens and defeated the dark one or whatever. Yeah. So you go to Arborea, you meet up with Serena and everyone in Arborea is like so happy to see Serena back. And she's like, I think Veronica's like in the woods somewhere near here. So you go to the woods and you find Veronica and she, like you said earlier, like you're wondering if one or two people died. Tragically, Veronica, to get everyone, like while Yggdrasil was being destroyed, she it cuts back to that scene and she was like, if there's a shred of hope for this world, I need to get everyone out of here. So I'm going to use like every ounce of my magical being to like get everyone safely away and I'll make that sacrifice. So yeah, she, the question of how anyone survived is Veronica. Veronica is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's really devastating because you don't think even, even after that, you're not like certain the game would commit to killing a major character like that. I certainly didn't think they were going to commit to it. Yeah. No, and and Veronica, uh, on top of that, is like she is uh, cursed early on to like look like a child instead of like her adult self. So it's like yeah. even more surprising that she was the one to die because she like was the youngest technically, you know. Yeah. Um, and like hadn't like regained her former self, and yeah, it's just really, it's really sad, and it really like. There are scenes with Serena that follow that that are like one of my favorites in the game, but also one of the most sad where she's just like, there's there's a line she has where she's like, I'm sorry, just like, I need to cry right now or something. Like, there's not like anything said. It's another moment that just like lets the moment sit and it feels so real. Like the way the characters respond to Veronica passing for a game that's so heightened and so fantastic, like the understanding and, and realization and, and processing of this trauma and of like losing this comrade of theirs is like so heartbreaking. And like yeah. they have a funeral in the town, like everyone is like bawling and Serena has to like lead it. And like, yeah, it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. And- that, that was actually one of the moments that I thought was really striking was during that funeral. Serena is so kind of stoic, you know, she's just yeah. like, I, I have like a role to play in this funeral and I'm just going to go through with it. You know, I'm just going to do the thing that I need to do. And everybody else, is very clearly broken up but serena is weirdly kind of like completely neutral during it and it's not until afterwards when pretty much everyone else is asleep and you get up in the middle of the night because you hear music playing outside um and you go outside and and you get towards this this beautiful like overlook in arborea uh that just kind of like looks over a valley uh and there's like a tree there with some benches and serena is there and she's just playing the harp uh she's playing a song that she and she and veronica used to play together all the time and uh and you have a little conversation with her where she's just like fine like she really is showing the fact that she is completely distraught by this yeah and uh kind of doubles down on the fact that she's like now we really have to save the world like we yeah. we really need to do this. Like we already needed to do this, but now we have to do it like for Veronica it's as much as everyone else. Yeah, we've yeah. lost so much and we've lost one of our friends, my sister. Yeah. Um and and that's the moment where she, you know, in playing that song, I think like a butterfly goes by or something and she gets Veronica's powers. The whole game Serena's been the healer, which I think going back to like the character's personality kind of mirroring their role in battle. Like even in that funeral she's there to make sure it happens and to support 
everyone else. But like when yeah. she finally needs to support herself, she gets Veronica's powers and she cuts her hair short as like, you know, a way for Veronica's soul to find her way home. Yeah. It's it's a really powerful moment. And also like really cool to see a character who is like, like if you asked me how I felt about Serena in Act 1, I'm like, oh, she's nice. Like she's just sort of there. But now she's like easily the star of the game. Like the, yeah. <laughs> for real. And, and like, they, yeah. it's, it's not only in this moment, but like the next few I would say like episodes quote unquote of the game from this point on like she becomes kind of like a a star in a way like she becomes somebody who is at the forefront of conversations and decision making Um, and she's like one of the people that the party turns to for advice and and ideas um, way more than ever before Uh, they they like not only they like quadruple down on on Serena being an important character um, which I really appreciated she like like you're saying like skyrocketed for me in terms of you know where where she was at in terms of like my own internal ranking of people Um, not that I was really thinking about it in that way but I was like oh man I'm so glad Serena's here from that point on and that was actually not only like the point where I was glad that she was uh, around more, but like she became a permanent fixture in my party from that point on because I was like, yeah. I have to keep Serena around. That was also the point when I stopped playing this game as like a one or two hours a night situation. But I was like, I need to do this like yeah. for Veronica and for Serena yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and and pretty much binged this game until I hit the credits. Yeah. And I mean, I think in what follows and what you would consider to be act three, even though it's still, you know, act two mechanically, is the party's back, you know, as much as they can be. And now they've got to to do it, to uh, find a way to reach Mordegon, to find a way to defeat him. Uh, this is where we um, we go to, I, th- I forgot exactly what order everything happens in, but the standouts for me at least are like, going to the havens above and meeting one of the surviving watchers mm-hmm. like they all died except for one of them who is like kind of like a friendly majin boo looking character i really don't mean to keep like i, I don't want to tether Triumph's work too much dragon ball z but straight up is like a majin boo character yeah, there, there are <laughs> like a couple things the, here and there that yeah. are like really one-to-one yeah yeah but they are they're sort of like these benevolent they're called watchers. They just sort of like almost like King Kai, like hang out in the in the heavens and make sure everything's going well, which of course it, it hasn't. <laughs> and there's only one left. <laughs> uh, and you're instructed to, you know, get a few more MacGuffins. You've got to forge the sword of light and uh, you are given a flute to summon Calasmus, the flying whale, which is like a really stunning moment. Uh, Cetacea? Calasmus is, is the... Calasmus is the final boss. You're the final boss. <laughs> Don't... Don't summon Colasmus with the flute. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you summon the flying whale, which is like another like really needed moment of hope after such like a tragic loss, yeah. you know. And it's the flute that Veronica carried around, you know, adding to her like still kind of indirectly helping the group. So what, now you're able to fly, which is like really riveting. And you yeah. see like you see the like you know. F- uh, I almost said forest of fear. It's a great adventure thing. Uh, you see like Mordegon's palace in the sky. I love like their approach to the world map. It reminds me a lot of um, FF7 and like seeing Midgar mm, like yeah, in the green. Absolutely. You know, like, there's this, there's some landmarks that just stand out when you see them. And you know, you see you fly around, you, you, you know, handle some things. Uh, there are a lot of really wonderful side quests in this point that kind of mirror like going around the world in act one. Uh, there's one in Hato that I think stood out for you where like there's a dragon that's terrorizing the village, but it's revealed to be like the leader's son. And mm-hmm. she's like kind of secretly feeding him people, hoping that one day he'll transform back. Yeah. And it's like really it's it's really like one of the more powerful like 
kind of one-off stories that exist that are independent of the core cast. Yeah, it's really harrowing. And it, it ends with you killing him, too. It ends with you, like, yeah. wiping him out. She's eventually like, you gotta kill my son for me, because I'm not gonna be able yeah, to do it. Yeah, right. And he has a brief moment where, like, his spirit is human again. But yeah, it's really sad. And then all the people are like, what do we do now? We don't have a leader. And they're like, I guess we'll just carry on. Which, yeah. like, little moments like that are, I think, fodder for a big decision in Act 3, which we'll get mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Um, but like the, the moments that stood out to me once you have the party back are forging the sort of light is like a really cool moment because like, ev- you know, originally it's like you get everything you need to get the hammer you're in this volcano uh, and, you know, you, you've gotten this vision to do it because this is what the hero of the past did, Erdwin, you know, you, you touch the Yggdrasil seed in the havens above and you're like, okay, he made a big sword. I got to make a big sword. I got to make so a big go, sword too. Yeah. I got to make a big sword. I love, I love the scene where the hero is like hammering away and his party mates are watching him. They're all like, we got to make this together. Like you, it's not just gonna be us watching you do this. And yeah. like, everyone grabs the hammer and kind of, it's almost, it's a very like, in my ax scene, like everyone, <laughs> says like they're kind of beat and then you know strikes the hammer this is where Silvando like you know just tosses it like it's nothing and like you know yeah. makes a show out of it um I loved the scene and like it's stuff that on paper sounds really corny but it's so effective because of how high the stakes are you know like you said Serena's like we really have to save the world now it's not a MacGuffin like we want the player and the characters want to save the world because it's it's been damaged so beyond repair yeah, I found I found that them finding hope in the midst of all this was so powerful. And the reason I love Final Fantasy VI as much as I do, because like there's something about a, a game's ability to have like the bad guy win early, but you still have to carry on. So so well done. Stop me if I'm missing something, but basically, like I don't mind cutting right to Morgan's castle and, and doing the end of Act Two if you're ready. Yeah. I, what what I'll just say about this bit is uh, th- this is easily my favorite chunk of the game. Like this was the part yeah. that I resonated with the most, and I wonder how much of that comes from the fact that I binged the entire thing in like two days. Um, yeah. But the entire experience of like, okay, the party's back together. You have a renewed sense of like hope, and you know what you need to do next, and that's forge the sword of light. That to me, I, I just thought was was a really exhilarating journey, and it and it brings you back to all of the uh, all of the incredible locations you had already been to, and um, yeah. just like seeing those places again, and seeing how like there's a little spark of hope that's kind of returning to like maybe you can turn the tide, um, and just knowing that the end is in sight, I think was was really was really wonderful for me, and it and it takes you to uh, the fortress of fear which is the end uh, of the game. Yeah. It's, it's the final, it's the final castle where Murdergon lives, which I think is like, just like we, we haven't really talked about, I, I would say like the nitty gritty of like the design of the video game. But like this to me was as I was playing it, one of those moments like where you're watching a movie and you just think about how the movie was made uh, behind the scenes. Like this was a moment where as I was going through the final dungeon, I was just like, this is some of the most brilliant level design I've ever played through. Yeah. Um, it is stunning because it, it is not only just like a greatest hits of every mechanic they've added throughout the entire game um, and they just kind of like revisit them as one-offs like for like five seconds then you go to another one it's almost like they just mashed up like every bit of Super Mario Odyssey into one final level <laughs> but you know it leads to a great climactic conclusion for the video game 
Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I I really liked. I mean, um, and just one quick note on like Act Two in general is like you know you mentioned earlier that your fear for this part of the game was that like the setting was going to become too bleak and and not interesting. You know, mm, yeah. Uh, and I think in the moments that lead up to this, like even though the world is bleak, like the setting is still very much alive and trying to resist. The temptation to like give up. I mean, I think about um, the scene in Phenomenon where like there's that dragon that asked everyone to give him what they treasure the most, yeah. and this kid oh, ran away because his dad said it was like a necklace, and his and his dad's like, "You're an idiot." I said it was the necklace because you like I didn't want him to take you. He would have taken you if I said the yeah. truth, which is that I treasure you more than anything. Oh my like, god, I forgot about that. It was so good. Stuff like that is so like to see moments like that alongside more harrowing moments where it's like, okay, my son's a dragon. I gotta feed him people you also have like I refuse to give the dragon my kid because I love him you know that's like incredible but but yeah Morgan Morgan's castle really does I was so I got everyone dressed up I was so ready to kick evil's ass me too that was the first time I like I yeah I I finally like to prom let's do it yeah I crafted all the items I'd been meaning to craft and like I, I I got all the um all the cosmetic items for everybody. So like they would go in and like end game gear essentially. Oh man, I was so ready for this fight. Yeah. You fight Jasper first and he's like in his full kind of vampiric thing. I never really cared too much for Jasper, but I did love, I mean, you're not supposed to, but I didn't really find him (laughs) even interesting either, but I did love the scene between him and Hendrick. Like, Mm. you know, he, you fight him and, and he's like, how could I lose to worms like you? And Hendrick's like Jasper and keeps walking. Uh, and then as you leave, Jasper's like, hey, 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 I wasn't dead at all. And he has all the sentinels he fought like with him. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit, here we go. Eight on one boss fight, I guess. Because the Jasper like, fight does feel a little bit too easy, I think, in that moment. At least for me, I was like, I just flew through this guy. Like, there's got to be another phase to him. There's got to be yeah. something else here. Um, But I, I loved like you know it's power friendship stuff but i just loved like every part of ever being like absolutely not fuck off and resisting yeah. <laughs> like no no, no is, second phase for you asshole yeah, we're they're like, here. no we are so much stronger than you eat shit and then like <laughs> him, you know jasper dying and hendrick being like i don't know how you became this way because like you were always my inspiration like everything i've done the the mm. praise i've gotten was because i was trying to keep up with you it's a really sad moment and like does I, I don't i didn't feel bad for jasper based on what he did and neither does hendrick really because hendrick was like i i've been fighting to preserve cobblestone for like a year basically like you have killed everyone i've loved and ruined the world but like yeah the person you were was the person that i like considered my brother and was the reason i am who i am today which like their relationship is kind of what the king was suggesting was the relationship between the luminary and the dark spawn where it's like one is kind of intertwined with the other like one is the result of the other one really really interesting again just like this is a hendrick appreciation post he's just incredible (laughs) uh but uh then you go to fight Mordegon and uh, it's a really, it's a really thrilling boss fight. Like the first phase, I was like, okay, he's all like Titan formula up. He's like muscular. I don't know. Yeah, he's ripped. Yeah, he, he's Frieza's yeah. final form. <laughs> and it's like a pretty tough fight. But then he has a second form, which is like, it's like a skeleton version of him with like a long spinal cord that leads to like a goofy dragon skeleton. Yeah. But like somehow it's all ominous and it's like yeah. a really these, tough fight. These were the two fights where I was like skin of my teeth, like, oh shit, maybe I'm not 
a high enough level to be able to do this. Maybe I should have been grinding more or something. I ended up I ended up making through both of them uh, on my on my first attempt, but it was yeah, really too. close for a while. There, there. There's there's a really and it, I think the 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 final boss like hints at what's to come with the post game in terms of like strategy and stuff. Absolutely, like, yeah. This is the first time bosses are getting like pet power and using special moves together, and like yeah. his special move is you get hit by like this sigil of hellfire like every turn yeah before your turn starts like, oh my god thank god for serena's echo multi-heal i'll say that yeah for real but yeah, i i i found the boss fight to be really like challenging in a way that made it exciting and not like uh i have to spend like another five hours on this boss because at this point you like want to see what happens next you know yeah. i will say that this boss did take me like an entire hour it was like it was it's like a, a solid fight. hour of gameplay was fighting but this it's boss. not like it's not like a Sekiro boss where I have to like start like try again over and over and over again. You know, yeah. like it, it, it feels like because this point you've been kind of prepping for it for so long that like it feels like it gives you the the I, I think um I think back to Breath of the Wild where a lot of people are like if you do everything in that game and then you fight Ganon, he's like nothing. It's like so right. anticlimactic because you can just beat him in one hit. Uh, but in this game, it's like you needed to do everything to to like kind of stand your own and you'll mm-hmm. feel the weight of that. But yeah, you you beat Mortagon and uh, you know the he starts crumbling and I think you fly away on the whale and then like the ending is like pretty straightforward. I mean like I think you kind of got ironically you you get the sort of like all the characters get the ending that they needed you know in the moments prior to actually beating Mortagon they all kind of find their purpose their drive to move on something Silvando says in just party chat when you're in the castle that I took a screenshot of. He's like, I'm sick to the back teeth of like evil and misery. Like I just want joy again. I want us to all laugh and hang out. I'm like, yeah, why is that the best line in the game? Yeah. It, uh, and it's a little too close to home right now, I think. Absolutely. And oh my God, I can't believe I forgot this. Some, something that I think is weirdly like an ending for even hero is when you find Erwin, his father, like in the dungeon of Dundrasil. Oh my god, yeah, we totally skipped that bit. Yeah, he that's like in the part of the game you consider your favorite, which I would agree with. And it's yeah. like that was the first time the game <laughs> made me cry in real life. Oh my god. That ripped me apart. There's a creature called the Gloomivore, which like yeah. props to this game for making us both cry when a lion named the Gloomivore is on camera. But anyway, <laughs> um, there's a creature named the Gloomivore that like feeds off misery. And like in the flashback, it's revealed that like when Mortagon, Mortagon possessed the king of Heliodor and in the fall of Dundrasil uh, also killed Erwin. Uh, the king at the time and hero's father and since he's been like betrayed by the king uh, possessed by Mordegon he's just been like obsessing over that day internally as his body is like in limbo while this gloomivore feeds off of that misery yeah so you fight you 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 relive that memory and then you fight the gloomivore and yeah cocky asshole gloomivore is like oh well you're a whole new source of misery i'm gonna start feeding on you and you're like (laughs) (laughs) you picked the wrong apple (laughs) jade use multi-thrust this will be over quick um (laughs) use oomphal and multi-feet anyway um uh those are spell names anyway uh when you beat the gloomivore like this is really beautiful moment where erwin comes to his senses and he's like he hasn't seen you since you were born you know you were like literally the day you were born he's like i would know those eyes anywhere like it was you who saved me and it's like so oh my god it's so good so like 
I bring that up in the context of the ending because like everyone has kind of gotten a moment like that, except for mm-hmm. Jade. But uh, she gets hers later, which which we mentioned earlier. Yeah. But like everyone kind of becomes like a better version of themselves through this really trying, awful period in the story. Um, and you be Mortagon, and there's this kind of a sense of relief and. It ends with just like you flying around on the whale and like kind of dropping everyone off and like yeah. what they're up to next. Like Eric goes back with his sister. Serena goes back to Arborea, I believe. Rab goes back to Dundersol to like kind of visit the grave of Hero's parents and tell them like we did it. You know, the world is good. Yeah. And uh, I mean, everyone kind of goes where they have to. And, you know, you're reunited with the king who's still in The Last Bastion with Jade. And like, there's just like a, a sense of, of, of hope. And Yggdrasil is reborn. The tree comes back. And there's a sort of like cycle of rebirth after death. I was convinced Veronica was going to come back at this point. I, I, yeah, I was yeah. so sure that Veronica was going to come back and then she didn't. And it was woof. I was just waiting yeah. for the turn there. I was just waiting for Veronica to come back the whole time. Yeah. And it reaches an end. And, and basically like this is like, well, credits are rolling and it ends, you know, with, with the group like kind of just sort of relishing in their victory. Another party in, in Arborea this time. That is so much fun. Partying in Arborea. Like I wish I could stay there forever. Yeah. But yeah, it 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 ends, and and we talked about this in uh, in our episode about it. You asked me like, you know, without spoiling, like, could someone play up until this point and safely be like, you know what, that was good. I don't need any more. And I can safely say yes. As much as I enjoyed the post game, I think that narratively, this is like everything you want. You know, yeah, everything yeah. that happens after this point. There's some great moments later, but like, I think that overall, the post game is much more interested in the game mechanically than narratively i totally agree yeah i i i i feel very very similarly um i i consider this bit if i'm to say that this is act one two and three using my own delineation that i i've concocted this is one of my favorite games of all time right here. yeah if you add the post game onto it and i have to count that as part of it then it's not anymore uh but but parts one two and three i think are like one of the most like wholly complete like give you everything that you could ever possibly want from a game like this kinds of experiences from from point A to point B. Uh, I mentioned this, I think, in the Perfect Basics episode also, but I just really think this is like a masterclass in like knowing exactly what the audience wants, even if they don't know what they want and just giving them that time and time and time again. And even having this like almost breakfast club adjacent ending where <laughs> where you learn what happens to all of them after they're done saving the world. It's perfect. It's it's literally perfect. I mean, th- this game is so fucking beautiful. Uh, and, and that ending really, really worked for me. And even spending an hour skin of my teeth nightmare style, uh, like horrified that I was going to lose and have to do the whole fight again was exactly how I should have finished that game like that. Right. Even yeah. that by itself was a perfect experience. And I, and it would be wild of me to say that that wasn't designed, you know, oh, I'm yeah. sure that that w- that that's the case for everyone who plays that regardless of what level you're at. Totally. But yeah, I agree. And I like, I like the post game and I, I'm excited to talk about it, but I, I agree that this is, this is the heart of the experience and like, yeah, is why I love this game. Yeah. I, I, I just want to mention, I also really like the post game. I think it's really good. Um, yeah. 
but it is not the thing that I'm thinking about when I think about this game. You know, I, I do not think about the post game. I think about everything that came beforehand when I it's not when like I recommend this game to people. It's not you got to get to the post game, which I yeah. have seen before. There are people out there. It's actually one of the interesting things about when I went to go pick this game up for the first time was seeing a lot of reviews on the Internet that were like, yeah, it's all really good. And then you hit the post game and then it gets better. Alternatively. There are a lot of people, including people in our Discord, who hate the post game for like really yeah. valid reasons that I really can't wait to talk about when we get there. Yeah, but uh, I, it's it's very divisive for a great reason. Yeah, I think so. I, I I'm glad it's there and I've enjoyed the time I put into it, but I think that experience has felt separate from the rest of the game, and yeah. I think also by design. Yes. Um, it really is a more if you want it situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have to say about Act 2. Do you want to take a break and then we'll resume with the post-game and questions? I would love to do that. That sounds really good. Hell yeah. Cool. Um, this I, I just, I really enjoyed reliving these moments with you because this is, this is, this is such a special game and this is like the best part of it emotionally at least. Yeah, um, and so. I'm, I'm actually excited that we're going to start talking about the post-game because uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about up until now is stuff that I experienced literally a year ago um and i'm like half remembering <laughs> and this is we're now getting to stuff that i'm currently experiencing so i can't wait to start talking about yeah it. hell yeah cool. i can't wait either i'll talk to you soon goodbye bye So here's the deal, Brendan. I beat Dragon Quest XI S Echoes in the Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch now in Game Pass previously on 3DS. But as I'm seeing this heartwarming epilogue, uh, I get this sort of like whimsical script across the scene that says like, our friends will continue their journey soon? Question mark. Yeah, as if it's a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Hero will return. We're into the post game now. Uh, very excited to talk about it because this is like so, you know, in the last segments we talked about um, what people kind of generalize as Act 1 and 2 and now we're in the post game which is, I if you like look like even before playing it, I kind of looked online because I, I already knew it was sort of like a divisive part of the game. Generally positive overall in terms of how people think of it. But there's still like some people say like th the game is made by this segment and some people are like, this is the one that fell flat for me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And having played it all, I really liked it, but I think... I didn't need it for us to have to record a bonus episode about this game because we love it so much. I very much agree. As somebody who hasn't finished it, and this is not me just rationalizing, not beating the game before doing a <laughs> bonus spoiler episode about it, but um, I, I, I feel, um, I, I don't know where I'm at actually in the story of the post game, but I've been playing it for many, many hours, uh, and, and I feel like I've already kind of gotten my fill of Dragon Quest Eleven, and everything else is just kind of gravy on top of that. Like, Every, everything else is just like more if you want it. Um, yeah. And this is kind of the big discussion that I think everybody has is like, is it actually more if you want it or is it actually an improvement or is it a degradation of what came before? Uh, that seems to be the conversation that floats around the post game. Yeah. And I'm excited to get into it because I, I've just been like Me wanting too. to talk about this on the show Me for too. like months at this point. I, I think the reason it's like hard for like a general consensus on what to classify the post game as is because of how it's introduced. So like, I think the game is conscious of, okay, we're making this part of the game for players that want more, you know? So like, 
I, I think that like even even playing the game knowing that that content existed, I felt pretty sated by how Act Two ended. Like mm. they they sprinkled just enough intrigue, and they had that you know text at the end that like you might want to keep playing. I think what follows like the framing device of the post game isn't really like following up on what is the perceived intention of the framing device. So like, Mm, um, if you don't mind, I just want to talk about how this is set up. So like you, you know, you can resume your, your save kind of like vaguely near automata where it's like, maybe load your save, you know, then you open it up and like everyone's partying the world is safe again. Um, it's great time. And then, like, the heroes are just sort of like, yeah, like, let's, like, check in everywhere and see what's going on. And you can actually fly on your cool whale and go to various towns. And there's, like, really, there are really incredible heartfelt scenes that happen. So there's, like, the scene with Silvando and his father. Um, there's a scene with Jade and the king. Yeah. Um, there's uh, the scene with Eric and his sister. All, like, kind of cemented for me that, like, the world was on the right track to, like, re- rebirth, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, Yggdrasil is now back and we can see. And everyone's, like, bummed that Veronica's gone. But, like, overall, you saved the day, kid. You did it, okay? Right. yeah. But then they're like, ooh, what are these ruins where I'm finding Technicolor Dreamcloth as a resource item? Ooh, what are these ruins? I like these ruins. Yeah. And is like uh, amped about all the books he's finding. Yeah. um, So you find the ruins and you get to this like really cool location. It's this sort of like Tower of Time, very Chrono Trigger energy from this location. Uh, it's just a bunch of like gears and clocks and basically the reason the party goes to this place is they in the ruins that they really like they find these clues that they could potentially bring veronica back right so they're like we've got all the free time in the world now we're like you know heroes that save the day that can just hang out and go to the casino we might as well try to bring back our friend because for them and for the player, that is the one big loss. You know, as yeah. as much as like the story has told us that Yggdrasil burned down and we've seen all these kind of harrowing side stories, for us the biggest deal is that Veronica's not there. And that's the thing that kind of hangs over the party. Even yeah. Serena like does an imitation of Veronica to like make everyone less bummed out, just to kind of <laughs> round out the party, which is a it's a very you know, touching moment. But anyway, you go to this tower, you go up you know, elevators of gears and stuff, and you talk to this kind of bloodborne celestial thing. Yeah. Uh, it's like a, a wispy, what are, what are they called? Tackles? Yeah, tackles. Like yeah. a really tall tackle. A really, a really tall tackle is like, welcome, Luminary. This is the tower of, I don't know if it's called the Tower of Time, but it's something like I that. I think it is, yeah. The, the locations are named pretty directly in this game, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun. Which is weirdly also like Chicago. Like all the streets in Chicago are like, <laughs> Like left of the lake it's very like i love that uh, yeah it's very uh direct but um the party and the hero are told by this tall tackle that they could theoretically travel through time back before yggdrasil fell back before veronica made her big heroic sacrifice to save everyone else and like prevent that all from happening and prevent veronica from dying at the risk of what could happen instead You know, so it's like, okay, you can go back and prevent the big calamity, but it's a big question mark as to if it will be, if it will lead to a better future. 
Yeah. The party is like all into it. They're like, yeah, that sounds good. And then the tall taco is like, uh, 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 only the luminary can go. Right. Uh, no one else can go. So basically the luminary will be leaving you all like by yourself in this kind of abandoned timeline. It's framed in such a way that like, if I could truly say yes or no, I would have said no. Cause they're like, That's, there's so okay, much yes. to risk. Yeah. They're there. You be abandoning everything you worked for. All really to save Veronica, who like, well, yes, I would love to save her. And, and, and her time did feel cut short unfairly. She also made this heroic sacrifice. So it's like, I, it, it's all just to bring her back, which feels like, <laughs> without spoiling it, it feels like you're being told to do what the villain in Persona 5 Royal ended up doing, where it's like, you can have everything you want. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can, and it's like, okay, totally. but like... The reason this story was successful is because we found hope despite it all, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, but, yeah, I... Uh, yo, go ahead. I just... I, okay. <laughs> so, part of this... Part part of going along with this means you got you got to turn your brain off to a certain extent, which is like a an unfortunate... Bit, yeah. I, I haven't needed to turn my brain off yet in Dragon Quest XI-S, but, you know, here I am 60 hours in and they're asking me to do it. And I, I, I turn my brain off in like a I'm chilling out, max and relaxing all cool kind of way, but not yeah. in like a I need to ignore the fact that you're introducing time travel into the story. And there are like huge ramifications for that. Chief of which being for me that like a lot more people than just Veronica died and a lot of them died way earlier than she did. So if I'm just going back to say Veronica, that also seems kind of bad it's yeah, so a why not save Irwin and your mother and like you know that's kind of like, where that's kind of where right. i'm going with this is like go back way further then if that's if that's the idea like if you can go back in time one time then like you might as well go way back to like the beginning of the video game again you know and start from scratch you know uh, reveal the king the minute you meet him or something you know yeah uh i i so there's that side of things also but uh, you have you have a really great point about how you think this would be better. But maybe we should save that for a little bit later on. Oh, yeah. If you don't mind. So, I mean, truth be told, this scene is ex- extremely well done and your party doesn't want you to do it. They're all like, I agree. No, yeah. man. Like, really good. it's too much of a risk. And Hendrick is like, I would go like if I could do it and I would make that sacrifice, which was like a really cool moment. Yeah. But I had you, to stand like, up and like walk around the room. Me too. I didn't want to do it. And, and, and the fact that it gives you like that this kind of game it's all about like being like go here next and like very simple classic adventures giving you this like very heavy decision yeah is really fascinating but the the decision where you say no is you don't play the game anymore and you say that like i'm done with the story which is i think the wildest thing to me is like there's not a situation in which the game has a has a state in which you can say no and then continue doing other stuff the right. game is like if you say no that's it for you like you're done playing dragon quest there's nothing else for you here yeah so it's like is curiosity gonna pull you back in time or not right and i will say what what follows is like so you take you know you eventually convince your friends that this is the right thing to do and they're like we'll see you again you know blah 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 it, it's it's a really powerful moment i mean what fucked me up is hendrick, hendrick going yeah. like when he's like when you go back we'll be enemies but like i know i will eventually come around like no matter what happens like my duty is to you the luminary and like if you can convince me of that then we'll be cool yeah um i don't want to leave you hendrick anyway more on that later uh some of you ask questions and hendrick will be the answer but um Uh, so you, you take this sort of light and you shatter this, you know, orb of time and you go back and it's right before you go to Yggdrasil. And I have to say, so what ends up happening 
is basically the equivalent of if in FF7 they're like, would you go back and like kick Sephiroth in the dick before he does the thing mm-hmm. and continue playing after is basically what you can do. So like, yeah. You're you're now, you know, level X hero with the sword of darkness. It's like the corrupted sword of light. Right. You have Mortagon's um, sword. You have Mortagon's sword. Fucking rules. It has a big eyeball on it. Yeah. You're like unstoppable. And the rest of your party is like, wow, you look like buff and taller. Like what's going on? <laughs> you go to Idrisil armed with Mortagon's sword and the knowledge of what's going to happen. So Jasper shows up and you know he's there and you just fling his, you know, fireball back at him and kick his ass like in battle. Like the first time you fought him, you couldn't land a hit because it was like a scripted event. But now you can actually just win yeah. and he's nothing. And then the king shows up and, and Hendrick shows up and like the king is like, oh shit, Jasper is defeated. Uh, <laughs> I'm still possessed by Mortagon, but hey, yeah, take that Jasper and kills Jasper. Yeah. And then Hendrick like learns the the truth earlier uh that moment i thought was very interesting because like it was very pleasing to prevent one of the most like heartbreaking moments in the game mm-hmm. and what followed is you go like the king is like oh i'm still clearly possessed but i'm going to pretend i'm not come back to the castle and party the luminary is the best yeah this is my first big huge like gig- gargantuan problem with the post game is uh we, we actually uh, incorrectly mentioned in one of the earlier parts that the hero is a silent protagonist. He's technically not a silent protagonist. There are a couple moments in the game when uh, it'll it'll say something along the lines, like a little text box will pop up and it'll be like, the hero informs people of this thing and this thing and this yes. thing. And, and it's just like yes. an animation of him like shaking his arms up and down as if he's talking to people, you know, and, and you don't actually get to hear the dialogue, but it's implied that he is speaking and, and talking about things that are happening or that have happened to him. Throughout the entirety of the post game, they just completely forget that they allowed the hero to speak in the original game, which like... Yeah completely broke my brain like 58 different times it, it i just i needed a box to just say the hero tells the rest of them what he did yes you know like i i thought that that was what was going to happen right he never right does the, yeah i thought the minute he showed up with the big sword he was going to be like i'm back from the future and i would have yeah. been like this is sick i love yes. this but the yes. fact that they didn't do it and they just they just kind of like string you along on this like oh you actually can't say anything about where you're at really that was like my big frustration point with the post game i totally agree and and i i enjoy the scene of the castle because you know you fight uh, the king eventually reveals it's mortagon you fight him and then that leads to the scene you and i talked about with jade where jade gets like finally reconnect with her father unpossessed and like it's really beautiful but basically you go back to heliodor everyone realizes the king has been possessed by mortagon you defeat mortagon but then it's revealed that there's another threat um that was kind of like very very briefly foreshadowed in the main game mm-hmm. the like weird creature that showed up under uh Erdwin's lantern yeah, it's like a it's like a shadow version of a tackle essentially right a shadow tackle yeah i'm the coolest yeah, yeah. exactly uh, <laughs> the, the shadow tackle shows up and mortagon's like ah i'm not the only one messing with time Ugh! And dies, uh, and then that shadow tackle goes on Erdwin's lantern and is like reincarnated as like the secret big bad. Right. And at that point, it's basically like okay, everyone knows the luminaries here. The luminaries cool. We now know who the threat is. It's in the sky. 
do whatever you need to to eliminate that threat. Yeah. And basically the post game becomes and and, and this might mean nothing to you Brendan and I apologize but I it's the closest parallel I can think of. The post game feels like the third disc of Final Fantasy 7 mm. where at that point, Final Fantasy VII is also like a pretty mostly linear game for most of it. It's a lot of like go from here to the next town and the story will progress. They they slowly open the game up more and more as you play it. But at the third disc, if you're playing on PS1, they're like, okay, Sephiroth's in that cave. You can fight him, whatever. But you have an airship and you can go anywhere and you can like prep as long as you want before the big battle. Yeah. And in FF7, it's like, you know, all of that is pretty optional. Like, if you do everything, if you do, like, I want to get everyone's ultimate weapon, I want to breed a golden chocobo so I can get the Knights of the Round summon. If you do all of that, Sephiroth won't stand a chance. The differences in Dragon Quest Eleven: you need to do all of that to stand a chance. Yeah. Uh, you need to explore the world and, like, craft the ultimate weapon and all that and honestly gameplay wise it's a thrill like i had a great time playing the post game and there's a lot of stuff mechanically that they add that is i mean first of all veronica's back so you have like a a fundamental member of your team back that you can incorporate with your parties and and the post game is the first time i really thought about like okay who not only who is in my active party because who's in the backup party who's in the backup party i need to i need to have two fully constructed teams when one team is wiped out the backup party fills in um which is a really cool system that i would love to see more games do because i love persona but the the protagonist dying game over shit is so not my thing yes the fact that you have to lose actually everyone to lose is like really great and there's a lot of fun strategies to do with with having two parties but um i enjoyed just like doing all the fun side stuff i enjoyed um there's, there's the subquest of rebuilding your hometown uh it was yeah, really you fun. know that's the first thing i did yeah that's the best that's the best brendan tarrytown bigly immediately beeline <laughs> for cobblestone so i could rebuild that place and honestly that quest is hard man it's really so, hard some all of those bosses really are harder than the final boss for me like oh wow okay yeah they like because they like okay to rebuild cobblestone like we need a merchant we need like security we need a mascot we need all this stuff and they all yeah. involve like a quest and a hard boss fight and then there are also um, trials of the luminary that I also really enjoyed. Where basically after the shadow tackle uh, is reborn as Kalasmos, this the a plot kind of like fizzles out, and it's just like do whatever you can to prepare. But like the de facto main plot is you go and find the seeds of Yggdrasil and then you find this like uh, Luminary's trial island. It looks like the Haven's above, but it's in this like other dimension. Yeah. And what it is is basically like harder versions of past dungeons where like it's more about figuring out like puzzles and where to go next and the enemies are harder. I actually really enjoyed those. And then at the end, there are bosses that are like, you have to defeat them in X number of moves. And then um, in in the trials, like you can be granted various wishes. So one is like sort of like a a marriage option. One is um, you can craft the ultimate weapon. Uh, one is you get Ogler's Digest, which is an accessory. And one is I just want Serena to have short hair again, which I thought was very funny. Oh, my God. Uh, really? I didn't see yeah, that one. It's like you like go through this like trial of the chosen one. It's like I really preferred Serena's short hair. Can oh she have God. that again? So you can just 
tell her that as a friend. You don't have to wish that from like He Man. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, you can't because you're a silent protagonist now, inexplicably. <laughs> you can't say, hey, from the dimension I came from, you had short hair and it fucking ruled, man. You should try it. <laughs> it did. It was a good look. But yeah, so th- those are all really fun. And I enjoyed, like, uh, there's a side quest that unlocks a new skill tree for Hendrik and Silvando chivalry and fraternity which is what Amazing. i'm in the middle of that's actually where i stopped playing i did the trials and then i went to go do that as my next thing. yeah but i have to say like outside of rebuilding cobblestone and the trials every other side quest like kind of feels just like a watered down version of what happened in act two um yeah even some the of the game. like biggest moments where it's like i'm gonna go fix all these problems and do all these side quests that i had done but like i know that i know the solve already so like for example um hato that that uh, i think is one of the more interesting ones but yeah. in the original game you go um, you know, and, and as we mentioned, there's the mom who is feeding villagers to her dragon son. You can just go and prevent that from happening, uh, but it requires you just like literally going on a fetch quest and like getting a little piece of uh, a thing from one of the trials and then bringing it back to her. And then that just yeah. isn't a story anymore. Right. And that's the thing. It's like conceptually, I love the fact that I can prevent that tragedy from happening. I can prevent shell from turning into sea foam. Right. You know, like all this, all this stuff that feels like I'm getting the ultimate happy ending, but it's not delivered in a way that's like narratively fulfilling in any way. I you totally know? agree. And, yeah. and the other moments, like we talked about, like how I loved the redemption between Eric and his sister and saving your father. And I, I appreciate the game not being like, we're going to do the same thing again, but it just feels like a, okay, we're not going to waste your time with this. So why is it even here? I, I think if you don't mind me getting to my idea of how this could work better based on what's here is like, please. Cause I totally agree. I mean, I'm so on board with this. I think it just should have been like, get rid of the rule that only the luminary can go back in time and have the whole party do it, you know, yeah. have everyone. And the only, the only kind of drawback there is Veronica, but it's like, if they go back to save Veronica together and then like, okay, let's just save everyone we can in this timeline. Right. That would have been like a little bit more fulfilling. I think they didn't want the post game to feel super necessary narratively, but the way they set it up, it felt like it was going to be. And then it wasn't Mm, right. Yeah. Most of the narrative is about, uh, the like past hero, and his party, and it's revealed like, oh, Mordegon was actually the mage that betrayed Erdwin, and the seer is like the good part of that mage that was left over. Like, that's all fun and interesting, but like, I was so personally in the previous acts, and now I'm just sort of like, I just want to level up because it's fun. I'm yeah. just like prepping for the Elite Four now, basically. Right. Yeah, it literally feels like the end game of like a Destiny or something, where like you're just yeah, right. you're just spending your time like doing quests that you've done already, and like leveling up and listening to podcasts which is what i spent my time doing but i think your solve in particular is really interesting because it also gets around i think the other thing or even uh the the even bigger thing that i see people levy against the post game which um i agree with as like my big point of contention which is the post game undoes a lot of that character development that happens right like you you were talking about during act two, how the way act two starts by going through these stories of these like really harrowing uh, trials that all of these party members have to go through to reunite with one another. Like that changes those people dramatically yeah. um, in, in like really substantial ways. And all of that character development is undone, which is like kind of a bummer. 
But what's weird about the post game is that all of the characters are written as though that stuff had happened anyway. Yeah. Not not in a way where they're like referencing it. Like Sylvando's not referencing the part where he like put a parade together and like walked across the entirety of the world. But I, I just mean like the Sylvando that you meet in the post game feels like the Sylvando that you ended the main game with. And the yes. same is true of every other character there. Um, which that that was my big bummer. I think that was my like, I agree. W- once I got there and all of the characters just felt exactly the same as they had just been like minutes prior, even though like just before that, Eric had an eye patch in my <laughs> yeah. in, in my other world. Uh, and, and, and now they're gone. So there's that side of things. And I, and I think uh, honestly that your solve just like completely fixes that as well. It just seems like the much simpler thing. Which like, yeah, I, I don't know, uh, not not to, you know, backseat direct or whatever, but like, no, but it, based on what the game is setting up, because it's like they're they're and, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like they're setting this post game up with this like very dramatic decision. But then the post game itself is just end game destiny stuff. So why not at least have the party in unison on that? If yeah. their intention is like, let's say Veronica, nothing is gained from the fact that only the hero can go. In fact, it makes it feel more selfish, given that only the hero can experience experience that, I agree you know? that was the big yeah. thing that I kept thinking as I was making the decision was like this feels like a selfish decision because yeah. as I mentioned before I'm making this decision to bring my friend back and I'm not going back further to save the like hundreds of other people who have been killed by Mordegon already like that is a selfish decision to have made. It doesn't feel good to make that call. Yeah. I really only did it because like I was just curious to see what the story was going to be like. And I got to be honest, I do like a lot of what's happening in the post game. I do yeah, like it's, that. It's they, a fun time. The fact that they force a decision on you that made me get up from my couch and walk around and call my friends and like figure out if I should do it or not. Like that's cool. That that is not what I was expecting from Dragon Quest. And there are a couple things like there are some settings that are really fun to see pre destruction that you didn't get to see yeah like going to the havens above before they were destroyed is like the standout yeah it's awesome it's incredible uh and honestly the Kalasmos boss fight is incredible it's so cool you're in space uh it's thrilling he looks like cell with a baby's face it's just like very (laughs) it's the it's the final final boss you want so the big the big thing about Kalasmos that i think we should probably mention is the whole the whole thought here is okay so you are the luminary the dark spawn is mortagon essentially this is like a legend of zelda situation and it's implied pretty heavily throughout dragon quest 11 that like this happens over and over again it's cyclical right there's always going to be a luminary and a dark spawn. But the reason that there's a cycle in the first place is Kalasmos. Yes. Is, is what's implied. So the idea here is like you beat Mordegon, that's cool and good. But if you go take out Kalasmos, that cycle is broken and this will yeah. never happen again. You will be the last luminary and there will be no dark spawn. Yeah. Which is, it's, I think, a really thrilling idea. It is. Do you mind if I tell you what follows beating Kalasmos? I, I, I desperately want to know. Please tell me. Okay. <laughs> so the fight is tough. I mean, what's really cool is like you use the sort of light as an item and it breaks his armor it's so cool but oh, anyway nice. Uh, MVP Hendrick for using Kerplunk to bring my backup party back to life and then we could do it all over again. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And also uh, Jade is doing like thousands of damage every turn. Anyway, uh, so you beat Klasmos and he's like, how can the humans beat me? You know, explodes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're on your, your digivolved whale and everyone's like, wow, like, like you said, not only did we beat Mortagon, we beat like the source of evil. There are no like monsters running around anymore. Oh man. Um, 
you know, they're all, which I mean, head, I'm like, are the monsters in the college okay? Like, I like them. They're yeah. cool. Uh, what about the ones are... on the trial aisle? Like, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, you defeat Klasmos and everyone's like, cool. And, and you, and it's revealed before then that the tall Tackle is actually Serenica. Right. Who is the, uh, like, love interest of Eredwin, the, the previous luminary. And she, that it's actually kind of a, a sad cutscene where, like, so, you know, Erdwin is betrayed by his mage companion who becomes Mordegon. His warrior friend is like the head of the trial aisles. Uh, and then Serenica tries to do the same thing. She tries to go back in time in the Tower of Time to save Erdwin, but can't because she's not the Luminary and she turns into a tall tackle uh, and like forgets <laughs> about who she was. Um, so like after you beat Kalasmos, the whole party's like, do you want to go back to that tall tackle and like help her out too? Yeah. Uh, and the hero's like, yes, I do. It's the first spoken line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can speak now. The they got Gilbert Godfrey destroyed. To, yeah. to voice the I can finally speak again. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, so you, <laughs> you go back and you use the power of the luminary to restore her to who she was. And the luminary gives her his sword and the power of the luminary to go back and, save Erdwin. So like oh what she, okay yeah she just which like feels heartfelt but also adds like another eight time travel questions you know right like, but what's tr what the intention is so like that that happens then you know it's the ending so really like have, I, I enjoyed the Klasmos fight and I enjoyed the fact that I am like done with the post game and then you get like a moment to go back to cobblestone and say goodbye to everyone oh my god I forgot so that happens with Serenica um, and then you wake up in cobblestone and then and you uh you veronica and serena go back to yggdrasil and you're like do you want to return the sword of light once and for all like mm. kind of like destroying Klasmus, do you want to like put that back in the tree where it belongs and like just live a normal life yeah so you do that and then the tree reveals that it itself is a big dragon um and <laughs> okay that at the dawn of time, it was fighting Kalasmos and was defeated, but all the tackles like made it a tree to like kind of kind of like how Kalasmos was sealed by Erdwin's lantern. Yeah, this dragon was like sealed in the form of Yggdrasil. Okay, but then it's like you know every dawn there's a hero and like we are now entering like an unmatched era of light. But darkness will come again, and like because of you and your adventure, uh, you will inspire whoever the new hero is. Because that's we can always count on that. Like as okay. long as there okay. is someone willing to fight for a good cause, there will be a new hero. Well, that feels like they went back on the whole break the cycle thing. Then <laughs> it sure does. It's like it's it's a, it's a nice scene, but yeah, it's not really a super compelling ending. But. All that to say, the end credits are literally like, rather than, you know, it's very telling. And I think this, this kind of sums up everything. The end credits of Act 2 are all the characters going back to where they want to go next or where they want to return to. Yeah. The end credits of Act 3 are all the past Dragon Quest games. So it's like oh. showing you footage of like 1, 2, 3, and then eventually leading up to 11. And to me... There's also a scene that follows the dragon one that's like a kid waking up and it's like a very Dragon Quest 3 looking intro. So mm -hmm. like it's implying that like this adventure will just 
like there's always going to be a need for a Dragon Quest game, basically. Yeah. Uh, and it it just feels like that whole part of the game is more of a nod to the series than to this game itself. Right. You know, like I think seeing the credits kind of honor each of the past games like made sense of what the approach was in Act Three. But I still think it was it was much messier writing overall than previously. Yeah. It, what it sounds like, weirdly enough, I don't know. The idea of breaking the cycle, I think, was really interesting to me, specifically because like this game does seem to be spending a lot of time looking backwards at the franchise, which at the time of playing, I didn't really have as strong a relationship with as I do now, um, having gone back and played a couple of them, you know, a little bit here and there. But, you know, b- between the like... For example, being able to go to Tickington or Talkington or whatever it's called and like going into the previous Dragon Quest games and like playing through little bits and pieces of previous Dragon Quest games in Dragon Quest 11. It it feels like Square Enix is looking backwards at the franchise and the idea of breaking the cycle almost to me felt like they were kind of paving some like new ground for what Dragon Quest 12 could be. And that was kind of my like that was my that was my big like brain blast moment as I was playing through this. Uh, and, and they had that moment where they were like, if you beat Kalasmos, that's it. You're the last luminary. I was like, holy shit, what is Dragon Quest 12 then? Like Dragon Quest 12 is a new cycle starting, weirdly enough, kind of like a Skyward Sword scenario, but, you know, not a prequel. Um like, how do we get into this mess all over again uh, was kind of what I was looking forward to at 12. So the fact that they go back on that kind of bums me out a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure I, we, we might be reading too strongly into it, honestly, because I think that like it, it just feels like the post game is really more there for like mechanical reasons. And and to like you said, not to the past. Right. But, like, yeah, I totally agree. I, I want to get to that point. Also, the other thing that, that you just brought up is the the Serenica going back is like a wild thing to me because yeah. we've now established that this is a time travel universe in which you're creating alternate timelines. So like when Luminary went back, he just like left his party chilling in that time. Yeah. Yeah. and like they just lived their lives until they died i guess and that timeline <laughs> just went on and serenica is now going and splitting the timeline again it feels so selfish right like it feels yeah. like a really selfish move because like serenica is gonna go get to live a cool life where she gets to hang out with erdwin again and that's where mortagon's like split into and like one is a villain yeah yeah uh, yeah it's yeah. really bizarre to me really bizarre yeah. but at the end of the day i agree with you on your take and i this is kind of how i've always felt about the post game is like this and, and that's why i've been saying this whole time that it's like you could put the game down when you're done with hack two and like yeah. you will have had a good time and you don't have to play the post game if you don't want to. You should check it out if you're curious and, and start it just to see. But you could put it down at any point after that. It does feel to me like it's literally just a do you like the combat a lot? Cool. We're going to do like a hard mode version of what you just played then. Yes, exactly. And I think they could have set it up that way. If that's what the intention was, um, yeah. I felt a little bit confused, but, but at the same time, I love this game so much that not only did I beat the post game and pretty much do everything, but the only thing I have left to do is Talkington. Like I've done oh. everything. There's really um, good stuff in Talkington. Yeah, I'm excited. Like items and stuff that you should probably get. I want to 100% this game. Like, I just love playing and being there. Yeah. So, like, I mentioned that. I just think, you know, it, it, it was a little bit of a bait and switch to, to have that beginning and then to have it be like, here's just act two hard mode, you know? Like, yeah. I think that the post game 
feels like it's made for longtime fans, both mechanically in the sense that it's like more unforgiving and more kind of traditional in some ways. And also like narratively, it's all kind of about like nodding at the past series, not directly because like Erdwin and all those characters aren't like canonically characters in the past, but they all look like a party could look in Dragon Quest three. Yeah. So like it's sort of like FF seven remix stuff going on with that. Right. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So but it's cool. I, I had a good time with it. Um, I just think it was it was not needed narratively for me. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing uh, or that's kind of the reason I haven't beaten the game yet. You know, before recording this episode is like I took my sweet ass time playing through this game uh, and getting to the end. Uh, and, and the moment that I like turned it into high gear and binged it towards the end was because I was really involved or like really uh, sucked into the narrative and like really wanted to see how it played out, you know. I was done with my half an hour before bed play style. And I was like, I just need to see the end of this. And now that I'm back in this post game thing, it feels like I'm just kind of thrust back into the like play a half an hour at a time and like take breaks and whatever. So I'm kind of spacing it out even more. But even then, it doesn't feel as narratively like compelling, I guess. Like I don't feel the need to like finish this anytime soon, really. So at the moment, I mean, honestly, I've put it down for like a week at this point. Uh, even knowing that we were going to be recording this episode and stuff, I, I was just like, I'm I'm not going to like crunch playing Dragon Quest XI. Uh, you know, I, I I'm just going to kind of play it on my own terms, and and I'll go back to it and I'll finish it eventually, maybe. But I already feel like I've gotten the experience I wanted to get out of it. It's still one of my favorite games totally. of all time. Oh yeah, and I think I think intentionally the reason why I think it may not be narratively narratively as rich. That I don't think they wanted you to feel like you needed to do this. You know, I, I mean, it's kind of the intention, right? They they. They wink and and nudge you so much that I think it will uh, cause a lot of people to go into this thinking that it's like required and part of the story continuing. I almost wish there was a little bit more that was like telling you, like, you don't need to do this, you know, right. and and I guess you could interpret that scene in the Tower of Time as that. You could say that moment where like everyone in your party tells you to not do the thing uh, <laughs> is literally the game saying like, maybe don't do this. Yeah, uh, you don't have to, but. I almost wish it was like a, a an out of the game experience, you know, a text box that popped up. They're just like, hey, this is this is only if you want it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I totally agree. So that's kind of all I had to say about the post game. Uh, let's see if anything more. Do you want to take a quick break and then do questions? That sounds great. Hell yeah. Cool. But yeah, in short, it's still like an incredible. I mean, I still play like another 40 hours of this game. I just want that to be known. Yeah. <laughs> like I still I still had a great time. Yeah, I'm at like 80 or 90 hours at this point. I mean, I, I, I haven't played 80 or 90 hours of a video game in a long time. So uh, <laughs> that, should, that yeah. should tell you how much I like this game. Awesome. Cool. I will see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Brendan, we're back with some questions from the listeners about Dragon Quest XI and our time with it. Uh, thank you all to those who asked us uh, to go through these. Um, we got a bunch of questions on Discord and Twitter. Kicking us off. Oh my god, I uh, want to play Dragon Quest so bad right now. I can't believe how much <laughs> talking about Dragon Quest makes me want to play Dragon Quest. Holy shit. That okay. happens every now and then. We talk about it like... Uh, we we have the effect on ourselves where we we hype ourselves up on a game while recording an episode about it. Yeah. Um, Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> I gotta be Cosmos, dude. Uh, Silalak in Discord asks, "Do you regret not sticking 
a lot of people okay i just want to say this a lot of people wrote out the acronym for dragon quest 11s as we say and it's like even harder to say out loud holy shit try. okay great um do you regret not sticking with dqxis hyphen e-a-a-e-a dash d-e-f-n-s in parentheses n-o-g-p when you first picked it up or are you glad you waited to play it when you did aj can you I keep imagine- the sound of me pouring wine <laughs> In the background of Steven trying to say that. In the Thank time you. you can say the name of this game, you can pour yourself a glass of wine. Um, <laughs> oh, and a follow-up question. Yeah, it's called The Way Back. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, the year 2018. I was going to say, what year? 2018, that's when we started the show. Coincidence? Yeah, that's why, that's why I got it, actually. I'm drinking uh, Lagunita's Little Something Something. It's one of my favorite beers. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. Yeah. I know, like, four beers, and that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Alagash White's still your favorite? Yeah, it is. Hell Yeah. A little trivia for you. I'm so sorry. What was the question? No, we like that. We were like straight up flirting there. Like, I, like, I, got so, like, I was so in. Anyway, um, do you not regret sticking with the game when you first? I guess this is targeted to me because you loved it right away. Oh, so yeah. The question is, do you not regret sticking with Dragon Quest Eleven when you first picked it up, or are you glad you waited to play it when you did? I'm really glad I waited to play it when I did for for many reasons. Um, and I think this is kind of the game like. Even if you have um, an experience like not playing the original PS4 copy like I did, I think this is a game that like kind of requires like you in the mindset to want something this kind of comforting and ritualistic, you know, like yeah. those are inherently nice things. But I think that like the winters are the perfect time to play a game like this. You yeah, know? we've been talking a lot recently about like this being the dearth of winter and, and just like needing some kind of comfort game to play to get you through it. I, I mentioned at some point, maybe it was on this episode, maybe it was another episode. I mentioned how uh, for the past two winters, I've just been watching Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so like this winter for me, it's uh, it's Death Stranding at the moment and Dragon Quest Eleven. So, yeah, I don't know. This is just like a specific kind of game that fits a specific kind of vibe, I think, if you need it in your life. I think last year too, we we got really into Final Fantasy fourteen around this time of year, which yeah. is like a similar kind of like play this for a little bit a day to unwind kind of energy, at least in a realm reborn. Yeah. Um, but uh, and the follow up question, so I'm in short, I'm glad I played it when I did. And the follow up question is, how much would you kill for a acronym Dragon Quest eleven style game, but with characters from Fire Emblem Three Houses? That's really interesting to ask because I feel like the inverse is like what I thought of first while reading it. I thought of like, what if there was a Three Houses game with the characters in this game? But honestly, as much as I love the cast of Dragon Quest XI, I think that like few games go like as into as deep into someone's personal life as three houses. So like having a dragon quest style adventure with the characters in three houses, I would love that, but only as an addendum to three houses. Like I wouldn't want that in place of three houses. I would be like, Hey, do you want to play the like standalone, uh, Ignatz, Bernie and Felix like adventure? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I just have to say, I think I would need that as specifically the golden deer. I think it would need to be the golden deer. (laughs) Uh, I love this idea. I'm I'm actually yeah. my I'm having a hard time like wrapping my head around it because I'm having so many thoughts simultaneously about yeah. how cool this would be. I have a feeling Final Fantasy 16 is going to be like a Black Eagles Dragon Quest game based on the energy <laughs> we've gotten already. I went back um, and watched the Final Fantasy 16 trailer yesterday. L- apropos of literally nothing, Stephen, I yeah. want you to know, like no reason whatsoever. I went I and I was just like, you. I wonder what that trailer was because I forgot about it. That game looks way more like Dark Souls than I remembered it looking like. 
like a little bit yeah i mean it's definitely i think i think i think there's someone on dragon's dogma working on it or like who is involved in dragon's oh, dogma man. in some way so it has a little bit of that dark fantasy edge weird um but yeah we would both kill a lot for that that sounds wonderful i wouldn't um, kill at all no murder for me thanks <laughs> but i would play it Hey, typical golden deer. Actually, someone someone <laughs> shared an image in the Discord of like the uh, I guess I guess it, it was Byleth and the three house leads, and on Claude's square it says it's okay to ask for help, and then everyone else is saying murder is okay. <laughs> like <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> that sums up the game. <laughs> Those are your choices. Oh my um, god. Okay, uh, GJ and Discord. <laughs> really funny. It's, it was really good. Okay. The Fire Emblem channel still kicking. It's still in an incredible place to be in the Discord. Uh, speaking of Discord, GJ asks, you've said that Dragon Quest XI is by far the most accessible in the series so far. Do you want Dragon Quest Twelve to continue that trend, or should Dragon Quest Eleven be the definitive entry point? So do we want... 12 to continue this trend of like you can jump into this one and then the rest or should 11 remain the entry point oh man that's a hard question i uh, it is i'm coming at it from two angles and and the first angle is like purely a business perspective from a purely business perspective if i was square enix i would obviously want every dragon quest game to be a good entry point into the dragon quest franchise that i think makes the most sense that said, I do think that Dragon Quest Eleven is so widely available. You know, it's on every platform at this point. It's like very easily attainable. Uh, and it is an incredible entry point that like there's kind of no reason for it not to get played, I think, by most people. You know, if you're yeah. that said, if you're interested in Dragon Quest Twelve, I'd be really bummed out if you couldn't just go play Dragon Quest Twelve. Like it'd be a, a real bummer if you were like interested in Dragon Quest as a franchise and you'd never played one before and twelve came out and it was like, maybe this isn't the one for new fans. Like that would be a real bummer. But I would like to see it. I think uh, take some chances based on the fact that most people playing it will have played 11. I think that that is, I think that that's a better assumption to go into that game with. But that said, 11 is so widely available that like I, I still will point to 11, like regardless of where 12 is at, I will still say like, yeah, you should play 11, maybe not first, but you should play 11. Totally. I agree. I mean, yeah, I, I think I would love to see 12 be accessible. It's it's interesting because this is a series that does not change often, but they do change it up in, in, in different ways in terms of like, what is the vibe of the adventure? What is like the mechanic that's added to this one? So like five. Yeah has the monster taming feature um and and eight eight feels the most like 11 so weirdly i and eight was also the biggest hit in the u.s before that was the one that everybody recommended that was the one that everybody pointed to and was like this is the entry point is eight so this question almost kind of applies in the past to like eight and 11 where 11 was okay here's really the entry point and like eight is like maybe the next one you play and that that's actually the next thing i was going to say is i think that this is like weirdly cyclical as well is this idea that like every couple of years they make one that is the entry point and then they try and iterate on that for the next couple of years and take some interesting chances uh you know nine was on the ds and i i think that was the one that you can make your own character in 10 became an mmo um and then by that point it had been so long that they were like okay we need a new entry point again and they made 11 which is like the most cut and dry ass dragon quest game you could possibly make you know i mean it is like it, it is like if you took the base idea of what a dragon quest game should be and just made that it with a triple a budget and put it out in the world that's what that game is i mean there's not really a whole lot 
having now gone back and played a couple of the other Dragon Quest games or like tried a couple of them in the beginning, it feels like Dragon Quest Eleven is the most pared down version of all of them so far. As a new fan, I would love to see 12 like be, uh, I don't want to say riskier because I know that's not going to happen in this series, but I do want to see like what else they can do with the formula because they do take, they do like make choices for each. They're not all identical, right. but they're all like kind of true to what you want from it. Yeah. Um, so I want all games to be as accessible as possible. So I think I would right. lean towards that. Yeah. And a follow-up question from GJ. Are there any spells from Dragon Quest XI that you wish were in Heroes moveset in Smash? Um, whack. That's a gr- <laughs> is Whack not in it? I don't know. Is Whack in there? I don't know. I know Snooze Whack kills is. the enemy immediately, just for context. Yeah, I would like Quadra Slash just to bring the giant Oh my god, how down. cool would Quadra yeah. Slash be? Shit. I would want one of the like abilities. Like the spell, most of the spells I think are accounted for, but some cool abilities like Helichopter or Quadra Slash would be cool. Yeah. Oh man, hell yeah. Or some pet powers. Give I would love like to be able a, to just change the weapon set that you're using at least. Yeah, that could be fun. Like giving him like dual wield or sword and shield. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Whack. Moving on. Whack. Whack. Uh, Mima Sweets on Discord asks, which Dragon Quest Eleven character do you want on Dragon Ball Fighter Z? That's an incredible question. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I mean, is the answer not Jade or? I was going to say Jade, I feel like is like already equipped to be part of the roster. Totally. And like will be broken. I also was thinking maybe Hendrick because I like the kind of big, sturdy grapple characters too. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think Jade is the clear choice. Yeah, I think Jade is a clear choice too. My my second was going to be Silvando just because I have no idea oh, how that yeah. would work, but it would be really fun. They both have like the panache and like pageantry you want from a fighting game character and yeah. what you want from a DBZ character, especially. Totally. Like Silvando would make like the good version of the Ginyu squad, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, Jade or Silvando. Squad. The good <laughs> The good U squad. And a follow-up question from Mima. Did you know there are, are 3D cutscenes? Turns out if you play on 2D mode, you don't get any of them, so I had to restart my playthrough. Oh, so yeah. Sorry. They, they do 2D versions of the cutscenes in 2D yeah, mode. Yeah, because on, originally on the PS4, you had the 3D version. On the on the 3DS, there was like a 2D version. And on the Definitive Edition, they you can both. flip between the two. Yeah. But well, I guess that's the d- thing is you can't really yeah. flip between the two. It's where it gets very frustrating is, is you have to create a new save file when you go into 2D mode. And it just saves wherever you're at in 3D mode. And then you have to pick up that save in 2D mode. And then you just continue on from there, which is kind of bizarre. But did you play 2D mode at all? I was curious at one point and then I was prompted to do that and I was worried I was going to lose progress. So I didn't. I think I got the taste of 2D I wanted from doing Talkington, Mm. you know, like I I honestly think you should play this one in 3D because like pretty much every other Dragon Quest is in 2D and like has the style they're going for. But the 3D graphics here are like really incredible. Like the, the, the character design in the world is like really stunning. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good move playing this game in 3D the way it was intended. That said, I did play like an hour in 2D mode and it's just like impressive that it exists. Yeah, I totally. can't imagine playing through the whole game like that, but I'm sure somebody out there's done it and probably had a great time. So, so we've mentioned a lot how they've uh, released all of the Dragon Quest games on iOS or like most yeah. of them. I think nine and ten aren't on there. Nine is a DS no. game and ten is uh, is is the MMO. But it'd be really cool if they released two D mode of Dragon Quest Eleven on iOS. That'd be a really oh, cool that could thing be fun. to do. Yeah, totally. I don't see why not. It does feel like it's like there's so much like Nintendo online adjacent mechanics required to like switch to two D. That's basically like you're switching to a different game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
It feels um, like a different game in a lot of instances. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Rob K in Discord. Dragon Quest Eleven spoiler, story spoiler question. And this kind of goes into what we were talking about before. When the hero makes the choice to go back in time in the post game, mm-hmm. did it make you feel bad about losing the character growth that some of the party had shown during Act 2? I feel like most of the cast went through some really trying moments, and then it was suddenly gone. Eric with Mia, Silvando and his father, Serena coming to terms with their sister's death, etc. Some of that was recovered in the new timeline, but not all of it. Also, with Serenica going back in time to save Erdwin at the very end of the postgame, I feel like that clearly establishes a multiple timeline scenario. That makes me feel even worse about the hero's choice to go back, since it means that there's a timeline he has abandoned his friends, minus Veronica, or just hanging out wondering he's okay. Meanwhile, he's in the new timeline with his rebooted friends. We're on the same page, I think. Like, yeah. I, I think that um, it, it was a cool risk they took, but they didn't stick the landing, basically. Yeah, I think that's the easiest way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you could you could talk about the ins and outs of time travel and and timelines all you want but at the end of the day it's just like there's a story that was written that like didn't quite nail it absolutely yeah and and it's like it it's very clear that the intention wasn't about the characters in the post game but again it was it was like you thought it was going to be based on how it started so right, it's like yeah. it's very confusing but i i totally agree with you rob k also patron saint of the uh i just rim we know time travel okay um <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Chase Sterling in the Discord asks, if you had to add one more suffix to Dragon Quest XI, <laughs> what would it be? Examples, 365 over two days, dream drop distance, new funky mode, etc. I think previously on the 3DS is the one we added already, but I think we can be even more creative. Uh, Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of an Elusive Age, Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch, now available for Xbox Game Pass, previously for the Nintendo 3DS, plus $1 million deposited directly into my TD Bank bank account. <laughs> In 2D or 3D? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would, I like the million dollars, absolutely. But I think I would add like a quote, like, you know, this time it's personal or something. Like oh. something like that. I just mean I want the game to come with a million dollars deposited directly oh, that would into be my great. bank That would account. be an easy sell, yeah. And then the follow-up question from Chase. If you had to make an, this is very much for you. If you had to make an idle game out of Dragon Quest Eleven. Also, again, typed. Thank you for typing out the acronym twice. That's dedication. <laughs> if you had to make an idle game out of Dragon Quest XI, what would it be? Uh, um, oh my God. Easy. Easy answer. Yeah. One of the best idle games ever made is called Clickpocalypse 2. <laughs> very silly name for a video game. Uh, and honestly, a bad name for a game that is this good. Because essentially what it is, is you're assembling like a uh, dungeon crawling party uh, and you essentially just let them run wild and go through dungeons over and over and over again. And every time they go through, they just kind of collect experience. uh, And whenever you check in with the game, you can go in and see like how much gold they acquired. You can buy stuff with the gold that they acquired to equip them with it. Uh, You can then go in and like use their experience on new uh, abilities and things like that. And then you can send them into harder and harder dungeons and just they will continue to like run through those dungeons over and over again. Sometimes they die and they have to restart and the dungeon's too hard or whatever. Um, And you can continue to like loop and loop and prestige like you can in other idle games. Um, One of my favorite things about it is that there are like no microtransactions to speak of in this game. It is just like a very wholesome and good idol game. I really like it. It's really great. I am amazed that other people haven't ripped off Clickpocalypse 2 because uh, that game has been around forever and, and is so great. Uh, and, and it just feels like, obviously, you would make a Dragon Quest game that is like a 2D 
Dragon Quest game that plays like, I don't know, this game in 2D mode. It plays like Dragon Quest XI in 2D mode and you build up a party and you just le- you just tell them what dungeons you want them to run through and they continue to run through them and gain golden experience and then they can go on to harder dungeons and things like that. Just seems like the obvious move. I am I'm. It bums me out, honestly, that more developers yeah. aren't making like IP laden idle <laughs> games because it just feels like such an obvious move. Uh, the only yeah, absolutely. There have been a couple here and there that I've seen. The most successful one, you're gonna lose your mind when I tell you this. The most successful one I've ever seen is an adaptation of Crazy Taxi as an idle <laughs> game, where you run the taxi company. That like I love that. Yeah, you run the taxi company that like is crazy taxi. So you're like hiring taxi drivers for their ability to like do like 360 flips off of ramps in San Francisco. And that is like literally like an idle game is the cosmic opposite of crazy taxi for the Dreamcast. I know that is brilliant. It's so it's brilliant. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Oh my god, it's not available anymore. Also, that's the that's the wildest thing. (laughs) It was too good. Um, I think I think it also would work. Like you could definitely make some kind of idle game or mobile game out of like rebuilding cobblestone and defending it. That was actually going to be my second thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot there. Yeah. listening someone at square you yeah there's do. um there's a whole world of like uh idle games that are like tower defense games so i i think like a simultaneous like uh adventure capitalist adjacent thing where you're like building up resources in your in your cobblestone and then there's another phase where you get to uh defend it via tower defense thing like that'd be a really cool like give and take like kind of two pronged attack uh idle game yeah there are so many options i'm i'm amazed that more huge scale developers aren't trying to make idle games because they're like money machines yeah absolutely moving on andrew d and discord which companion would you take on your own personal quest and why move set personality stats this is a very interesting question because i'm not quite sure <laughs> if it means like me steven if i could like take a character from the game and go on an adventure with them yeah or that's what it sounded was, like to me that's what, okay so that's that's because that 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 seems like a fun question i was thinking also like <laughs> i also i also like the follow-up for move set stats or personality like i'm gonna bring <laughs> i'm gonna bring hendrick with me to the office because he knows grafalcon slash <laughs> And Excel. He's great at Excel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know? Do you have an answer? Because I'm, I'm honestly stuck. Uh, yeah, I think Veronica and I would get along. I think we'd hang out. Oh, interesting. I think we'd be buds. She has, she has a very Brooklyn, New York vibe to her. She does. And I think you have, and I mean, it's a compliment. You kind of have a Serena energy about you where you're like very amiable, but very curious and supportive as to what's happening around you. Yeah. So you would be like the wind beneath her flame. It'd be yeah. great. I think if Sylvanda and I went on an adventure, it would either like destroy the world or bring out a new era <laughs> of peace. I'm not sure which would happen. You guys would fuse into Colosmos too. <laughs> Ivory Bud! Oh my god. I think it would be Hendrick, honestly. I think it has to be Hendrick for me. We can't just skip past that. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> What do you want to say? What, 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 what do you even, want me to say? Steven, I don't even know what to say. The fact that you just kept talking is wild to me. I have <laughs> lost the ability to speak or think. You don't start the day by stepping out of bed, stretching, cracking a few eggs on the frying pan and going, I <laughs> 
with your like multi-dimensional tendrils and two glowing planet eyes. Oh shit. Oh no, you've been living, man. It's every day for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed my vocal cords aren't shot, by the way, based on just what I've done with my life. Oh my god, me too. That was unbelievable. <laughs> that was really one of those moments where like I get to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I have like instant amnesia. It's like I'm not even responsible. Yeah, I think that's why you yeah. just kept talking. Um, <laughs> fuck, what was the quest? Oh, we were, you were talking about Silvando, I think. Oh, it was who would you take on a personal quest? Oh, you, you were changing of, your of answer to Hendrick. Um, yeah, I mean, God, I feel like I'm torn between. I love them all. I think H- Hendrick and I, I think, would get along really well. I just imagine Hendrick in a beanie hanging out on your couch, just like, hey, man. <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like I attract people like Hendrick in my life a lot because, like, the the kind of person I love meeting is someone who is like secretly weird but doesn't feel like they can let it out. <laughs> And Hendrick is totally, like, the nice bro who, like, secretly is very into, like, artistic things and has things to talk about but can't with his other friends. Right, right, right. And that's what I would be for Hendrick, I think. So, I think Hendrick, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, they're all great, but Hendrick would be the one. (laughs) I, like, hit you with a gust of wind. You're like, it looks... I'm so. I feel like I should apologize. No, that was great. I mean, I'm. I'm so. I'm so glad that that happened and that it. That's been recorded onto an MP3 file. <laughs> it's my new alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I'm just like really racking the old noodle for ways to use that outside of this podcast. Oh yeah. What I just think? want. I, I want to isolate that, and I want it everywhere. I hate that that's my gator done. Is this I was just going to say, I think that's your Bazinga, friendo. <laughs> oh, I just got a Hallmark card and I, I open it up and I... <laughs> whatever. Whatever I said. I I, oh, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to go to Build-A-Bear Workshop and when they ask yeah. me if I want a voice box in the bear that I'm building, I'm going to hold up my iPhone. I'm going to play that. I'm going to play the audio of you saying that. And we have a, a bear that whenever I squeeze it, it says that. It screams, <laughs> I am reborn. When you put the stuffed heart inside of it, it's like, can someone put like a cursed crystal on this real quick? <laughs> this can't be holy in any way possible. Yeah. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to the KFC in the food court and get a piece of popcorn chicken and that's going to be its heart. Mm, that sounds delicious. That is holy. <laughs> uh, I would take Hendrick. Uh, and our last question, our last question of all these questions comes from hey lucci on twitter uh and this has an obvious answer is sylvando the best rpg character ever yes or yes if those are my options then it's yes right but you you had something more to say you looked I, know, I, I, I wanted to think about it. i wanted to really think about it i wanted to mull it over he's i think honestly i think sylvando is definitely one of my favorite rpg characters if i if i had to actually like make a list would he be number one i'm not sure but definitely like top 10 absolutely and definitely, I think the strongest character may be in the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say he, I'd say he's my favorite character in Dragon Quest Eleven. Definitely. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of other RPG characters that I would like more, and I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of any. You've got Kate Sith. You've got Bidoof from Pokemon Diamond. It's true. You've got uh, the dude who tries to stop you from going to the Deku Tree in Ocarina of Time. <laughs> you have to get a sword and shield first. He's pretty cool. Um, you've got the rival in Silver and Gold. Yeah. 
I was just spoiled you've, silver and gold. You've got uh, Eric Sparrow from Tony Hawk Underground. Waluigi. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the. He was the logical last note of that that word association yeah. of characters. Worf. Um. Anyway, I love Worf. <laughs> Worf. Worf. Uh. Are there? Wait, that's the last question. That's the last question. Yeah. Oh, Savando's wow. great. I think he's definitely one of the best. Shit. Uh. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I again. I'm having a hard time thinking of people. So. Uh. I, I'm gonna say yes. Of the two I'm options, yes I'm gonna pick yes. Yes or yes. I say yes. Yeah. Wow. And you also want to talk about when we got t- we got some time tonight, you know? Yeah, I'm playing Mario Golf Advance Tour on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> I'm so excited to play that. I Dude, that game fucking rules. I will say this. Yeah. That game is by Camelot, who also made yeah. Golden Sun, who Golden also Sun. made uh, Pokemon. Sorry, Pokemon. What? Mario Tennis uh, mm-hmm. for the Game Boy Advance. And they also made a bunch of games for other uh, other consoles. But... The Game Boy Advance games, all of them, except Golden Sun, obviously, they start with Waluigi going, Nintendo, which really? rules. Yeah. I think they just love that they made Waluigi. So, like, he is the guy who, who announces oh what the video game God, is when so you start it up. Yeah. I love that. I, did, I had no idea that happened. That's so cool. Yeah, I've really heard good. that that Mario Golf is, like, the, it's, like, one of the best sports RPGs out there. Like it's, like, a very Dude, RPG-centric game. It's going to blow your mind when you play that game. <laughs> I I am frequently putting bonus. down the Game Boy because I'm just like shocked at how good it is. Yeah, I'm. I will, we'll be. Hey, we'll probably talk about that soon. Tease. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Let's talk about something Dragon Quest related. What what Dragon Quest <laughs> game are you gonna play next? That's a great question. I'm I'm halfway through five. I think I definitely want to finish five. I really like five. Yeah. Um, I started eight and eight. Like if I hadn't fallen in love with 11, I think I might've bounced, but I'm like confident that it's going to get better and I'm already enjoying it. Like I I'm very early on, but I think like there are some things about eight that like I immediately liked about 11 that aren't there. For instance, like you have to have the dubbed version in eight and you get the, 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 the soundtrack actually is fine. Like being kind of MIDI because on the 3ds, it's not as like jarring as having like beautiful, you know, 4K 3D Toriyama art with synth music. Right. But I think um, just the vibe of 8, I'm sure I'm going to really like a lot. And I also like, you mentioned how it's like, how impressive it is that that game like that is running on the 3DS. And I definitely feel that. Yeah. It's shocking that that game works. It's kind of, I'm kind of going into 8 the same way I went into the post game where I just enjoy this mechanically. And like, if there's anything else going on, I'm going to have a good time. Mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. um, But 5, I am really enjoying on like an emotional level. I also, I picked up 3 on the Switch and that that game begins with like a personality test and I guess that was an Aries and I immediately (laughs) felt like I fainted. Um, And I also got 4 on my phone and 4 is like another one that's kind of narratively ambitious because you play as like um you play as the hero and then it like kind of shifts perspective from a different a bunch of different characters and then they all end up together eventually oh that's cool um that's like so much shit so i think the next ones for me are going to be finishing five i think eight will be kind of like on the back burner throughout you know just like slowly going through it's kind of like a light it's so far it's like more like light affair right and then i think i might do four next cool uh based on what i've heard yeah yeah how about you uh it's definitely gonna be eight for me yeah yeah my, my partner's been using the 3ds uh recently but as soon as she's done with that i'm gonna pick up eight again and i think i'm gonna keep playing that 
the look of the crew is like more golden deer e, where they're all just like people at a tavern kind of thing that I'm like, yeah, I'm into this. They're I'm fascinating. very into yeah, this. I'm, I'm yeah. so into it already uh, from the amount that I've played. Um, yeah. I honestly think the next like big one that I'm going to play though is probably Dragon Quest Builders 2. Um, oh yeah, that has your name all over I'm it. I'm really yeah. curious about that. I have also uh, recently hacked my PlayStation Vita. Ah! Uh, which which uh, will allow me that was to halfway between my normal voice and the Iron Born voice. <laughs> this is the logical middle point. If you if you hack your PS Vita, you can play Dragon Quest Heroes. I think two, which is a PlayStation Vita game that was never released in the U.S., but you can patch it to have English subtitles. Um, mm. Only if you hack your Vita, which I just did. Uh, not not in an attempt to do that, but uh, now that that's an option, and I know that it's an option, I'm like, why not do it? You know, why not yeah. give it a shot? Little I'm very little. curious about the Dragon Quest Heroes games. I have no idea what they're like. Yeah, I am. Um, God, I'm just so excited to get more and more into this franchise. There's like at least four more that I didn't say that I will probably want to play eventually. Yeah. Uh, so it's worth mentioning. We we recorded this episode that you're listening to right now over the course of uh, more than one day. Uh, and, and as of us recording tonight, Dragon Quest Tact has been released in the United States, which is a, uh, it's a mobile game that came out a couple of years ago in Japan and has now been ported or not ported, but uh, localized for the US and is like straight up just Fire Emblem Heroes, but with Dragon Quest, uh, <laughs> which yeah. is cool. I, I played like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of it uh, today. It's been interesting so far. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but it, point being, there's a lot of Dragon Quest out there to experience and uh, a lot of it is available on a lot of platforms, which is, I think, the most exciting thing about it. Totally. I, I even tweeted somewhere recently, like, which one should I check out? And um, pretty much everyone was like, every game has something to offer, you know, yeah, even in a so series cool. that that sticks to a certain formula. They're all like five is an extremely different experience than 11. God, five is so much shit. I love five so much. Yeah. It's like, what if Pokemon was dramatic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sign me up incredible uh add stardew valley into there i'm I'm in heaven yeah i love that in eight your your like first party mate calls you gov it's great it's a good time yeah it's really good again i I wish i could put on uh japanese voice acting but say la vie yeah say la vie but yeah i i think this even though i think this might be like the ultimatum on 11 we are just beginning our dragon quest journey overall the tree of life was secretly a dragon. It resurrected itself and turned to both of us and said, I am reborn. Uh, as long as you want to keep playing Dragon Quest, there's going to be a new Dragon Quest. So like, yeah, buckle up, baby, and do another episode about five. And I said, fine, I'll do it. Look forward to it. OK, yeah, I, I, I think there's a world in which we talk about more Dragon Quest games. And hopefully we're still doing this podcast when Dragon Quest 12 comes out. There's no way we won't be. I, I am like so certain of both things. There's like at least a 90% chance. That's great. I wonder yeah. how long it takes between Dragon Quest games. I have not thought about that at all. The the version of this podcast where we're both old men is like the best version of it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, oh, three houses. Ah! <laughs> Oh man, I'm actually really excited for that. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, Dragon Quest Ten came out on the Nintendo Wii. So I mean, Eleven was also like a much bigger hit. So I think that there's definitely like data for Square Enix to be like, hey, Dragon Quest is like doing a little better if you want to like prioritize it here. Yeah, and uh, if you want to be part of that data, pick it up. You know, I'm I'm pulling up Wikipedia. Do it. In the meantime, I'll just sort of like uh, wait and listen. Okay, Dragon Quest Eleven came out. July 29th, 2017. Whoa. Dragon Quest X came out five years prior to that. 
Dragon Quest Nine was three years prior to that, and then five years, and then four years. Okay, and then five years. So there's actually like a non-zero chance that we'll hear something about Dragon Quest Twelve pretty soon. Yeah, because what it's been, it's suddenly been like it's suddenly been three years since this game, since Eleven. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The original came out in 2018. Yeah. Well, it dropped in Japan in 2017. So like, oh shit. Yeah, it's possible that whatever team works on these games has been developing this or has been developing uh, 12 for a while. Um, and it looks like the longest gap between games is five years. So we're, com- we're coming 12. up on we're coming up on four years now. It'll be funny when our like fake Dragon Quest 12 episode confuses people, you know, because we, <laughs> we oh my named God, our yeah. first episode about this game Dragon Quest 12. I'm excited, man. I can't wait to see what it is. Yeah, me too. Oh, man, that's so exciting. Maybe Qbert will be in it. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, Gov, I'm sucking a cubicle maze. <laughs> Oi, Gov, my name's Cubit. You snooze. Whack. Yeah, let's hey, wrap you, up. You want to wrap up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you answered me before I asked. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, these bonuses are made possible by our generous patrons. Uh, thank you so much. You know who you are. Yeah, I mean, you know the deal. I think I don't really feel the need to do like a corporate default sign off for a bonus episode, but just like thank you all for the support you've given us. We love doing this. We are really excited to do this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We certainly enjoyed making it over the course of a couple weeks, and uh, I'm just excited for more of the show, more of the series, and more of us making stuff together. Yeah. Uh, if there's a bonus episode, episode that you're interested in hearing uh i guess let us know i i think you know steven and i tend to plan these out pretty far in advance but uh if there's like an if there's an overwhelming demand for something in particular i'd, I'd be interested in hearing what that demand is but we want a gex enter the gecko five hour bonus episode don't even tonight. speak it into existence steven oh my god <laughs> We we're not gonna do that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Gex fans. I look. If you want Gex Enter the Gecko content, like I will play Gex Enter the Gecko for an episode, but not a bonus. I, I haven't. I tried to get rid of it. I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> Every time I put it outside, it shows up on my shelf again. Basically, it's like Chucky. I tried to like, put it on the <laughs> truck and just like, hit it against the road. Keeps showing up I, on my pillow. Yeah, I took it to. I like sold a bunch of games at the retro game store to get some credit and then i bought mario rpg for the super nintendo great purchase um but yeah that like, is a great purchase gex was basically worthless like i don't even want this. oh my god uh yeah anyway, anyway i just want to say thanks so much to everybody who listens yeah. to the show um i mean I, steve and i were talking about this off off the show uh right before we started recording tonight but i i don't know just the amount of support we always say this but the amount of support has only been growing recently yeah um, and that's surprising and shocking and cool and amazing and really humbling and nice uh, and, and you know, a lot of adjectives for all of those words. Um, it just feels really spectacular. So thank you all so much for listening to the show and sharing it with people and saying nice things about it on Twitter and elsewhere. It's really cool. Uh, if, you, if you like the show, please share it with a friend. You can send them to Into the Casta Online. It's our website. It's our internet website that'll take you to <laughs> every right. place that they would want to go. Whether that's listening to the podcast, whether that's going to Twitch or YouTube or Instagram or Twitter uh, or a, a link to the Discord or uh, the the email address in which you can email us, which please email us. We like receiving emails. But uh, yeah, is there more stuff? Uh, that's it, basically. Cool. Um, All right. Yeah. Whack. <laughs> snooze uh my name is steven hilger you can find me at steven hilger my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley (laughs) 
Whack. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much Bye. for listening. Thank you. Thank you.